If you're a fan of Fast and Furious, you could thank this guy. We have the real-life Dominic Toretto in the house. My job was street racing. Horse are you on street racing? For five years, you were just making your money purely from street racing. Yes. And good, and good money. The biggest part I ever raised was 20 grand. Ralphie Estevez of DRT Racing. Sleep Race Podcast. I'm your host, Brian ESR, and we have a guest co-host today, Ricky Silva of CLM Motorsports. What's going on, guys? And our main guest today, if you're a fan of Fast and Furious, you could thank this guy. We have the real-life Dominic Toretto in the house. But his real name is Racer X, or more known as Ralphie Estevez of DRT Racing. How you doing? Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. Question, have you even watched all 10 of the Fast and Furious movies? No, I, definitely I, not. I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking that. I, I haven't either, so don't feel bad. Yeah. I have. I'm, I didn't start off as a fan, but I did watch them all, and I, I, I kind of like them now. <laughs> How many have you watched? Um, I watched the first one, um, second one, which was Tokyo Drift, I think, right? Third one is Tokyo Drift. So I watched all three, then seven, I think, and that's it. <laughs> really random numbers. And that's it. Yeah, that's it. So we'll get into the backstory of why I'm saying you're the real Dominic Toretto. Um, but before we get into that, you this... know, you know, some people are going to hate you for that. That's <laughs> fine. Com put a comp I want to know why you, you get upset that I call him the real Dominic Toretto. But I think after watching this, you might have to agree with me because before we get into the whole Fast and Furious conversation, which is based on your street racing days in New York, I want to go back to the start of Ralphie Estevez as a person and how do you get into racing and what was your first race car? So, I mean, I got into racing at a very young age, not actually doing the racing, but watching. Um, in the United States? Cause in the United States. You're correct. not from the United States. No. So I was born in Dominican Republic, okay. and my parents uh, went to Puerto Rico when I was two. So from two to seven years, that was five years, and I, I grew up in Puerto Rico, and I went to school in Puerto Rico. From, from there, I came here. To New York. To, to New York. And I came to New York in 1978, right after the big... Um, You're dating yourself a little. Don't say <laughs> that. That's okay. I, I'm 56 years old. I can take that. <laughs> look good. You look great for your age. Had, had you not told me, I would have guessed, you know, 30s or something, you know. Yeah. So, so question about that. You said, um, so you came to the United States when you were seven, but you've always been a fan of racing, of watching it. What type of racing were you watching back correct. then? Correct. So uh, right where I began to race i also uh was the place that i watched uh it was 11 years old i was on a bicycle I used to go down to the park um in Amsterdam and 190th street i used to live on 183rd street in st nicholas in washington heights i lived there all my life and um i used to go down to the park just there was there was roads there that i can go in and not get hurt but i always used to see these people arguing and i'm like why are they arguing? And they were, you know, you know, Spanish people are, are very loud. So they were bicycle just... Bicycle racing. No, no, no. The, I, I used, used to, to ride go there his to ride bicycle. the bike. Oh. But then I saw these people arguing. Yeah. And I, you know, screaming at each other and all that. And then I got curious and started to get closer and closer. And, you know, they were adults. So I, I was told never to be around adults anyway. So 
But I kept watching, and then I saw that after all the argument, there was money going around, and then they raised. Oh. So I began to say, wow, oh, so what is this? It was something new for me. So you were watching street racing since you were 11? Yes. And yes. they were racing in Washington Heights? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. on Amsterdam Avenue, right, right, up, right behind George Washington High School. And, and that's basically where I started racing. And this is in the 80s? Um, yeah, yeah, this was, um, 80, probably around 80. I was, I was 11 years old, believe me. I was in sixth, sixth grade. That's pretty dope. 79, somewhere around there was, yeah. Watching real deal street racing oh, in, yeah, in yeah, grade yeah, school, yeah. that's dope. Then by the 80s, um, 83, I got my first car, right after I got out of junior high school. What cars were they racing when you were watching? Um, Corollas, Celicas, bikes. Motorcycles. Right? Yeah. And mostly, like, the, that's why I got my first car was a Datsun 510, because it was one of the cars that was the most around the neighborhood. And that's your f first car that you street raced? That was my very first car that I ever had, that I bought all broken down from the beginning <laughs> for 200 bucks. That's what's up. <laughs> $200 back then, that's big money. Yeah, $200. I paid for that car. So, 16, 17, when you started street racing? Um, just about, it was 83, 84. And how did that escalate into you owning a shop? Like what happened in between? Oh, this is way before I even thought about owning a shop. <laughs> so what, what, what happened in between? Uh, in between did a lot of stupid things, <laughs> uh, <laughs> things that you're not supposed to do. Relative to cars, where yeah. did, how, how does it come into play? Um, you know, um, we live in Manhattan. We didn't have garages, so the front of the building was the garage. <laughs> um, so you're wrenching on cars in the streets of New York. Yeah, we used to hang out on this um, in the street called Thayer down in by the Dagman Street area. It was a bunch of guys there, and we they all have five tens, Corollas. I I had a couple of RX two after that as well, and we used to just change engines on in the front, and then I mean people used to hate us in the block because. You know, we got alternate parking side regulations, so we will take like half the block with our cars, and then <laughs> when, when it was time to clean, we move them, double park, and then as soon as it was empty, we'll take the car, the parkies back. So people used to hate it. <laughs> was that everywhere in New York? Like those were the cars to modify back then, like Mazdas yeah. and Toyotas? Yeah, and that's mostly why I grew up with liking imports. Like I never seen... American cars or worked on American cars. I I mean, the only American car I ever worked was the Grand National, which I liked. <laughs> but you didn't see too many of those racing in your area. Correct. And that's why we grew up I mean, in the Spanish heritage. You see that we grow up on imports mostly because of that. Oh, well, that's another, I guess, because it was in Washington Heights, was which was or still is a predominantly Hispanic area. You're saying for Hispanics... Because you're watching street racing in that specific area, it was Mazdas and Toyotas. Correct. So we got, I got used to seeing that, and that's what I, that's what you begin to like. It's like if I put something in front of you a hundred times, you're gonna say the first time, "Well, I don't like it," but after the hundredth time, you begin to like it. It's, it's the environment <laughs> yeah, you're around. Correct. So from working on cars in the streets to becoming a full-time mechanic and be creating a career as a mechanic, because today you're. From what I know, and I'd like for you to go more into this, you're a mechanic, you're a tuner, you're a racer. What happened in between here after, you know, you're street racing with a bunch of your friends, working on cars in the street? What happened after that? 
Well, the first thing is I never wanted to be a mechanic. I wanted to be a, a airplane pilot. I don't know how somewhere along the line I got lost. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, that's a big difference. Yeah, that's a big difference. So, Did you even make it to flight school? <laughs> no. Okay, so no, no. talk about where so, that road split from wanting to do that. So, I mean, and, and that uh, the, uh, the pilot came from... When I used to live in Puerto Rico, we lived close to the airport, and I used to watch the planes, so I used to like that. And my mother worked uh, for one of the airlines so for a while. So so something I, happened I, with I, these cars that uh, you didn't end up being a pilot. I wasn't smart enough. <laughs> so did were, did I, you I, go to school to be a mechanic or anything? Or? No, no. Everything was um, hands-on, uh, just experience. Um, in those days, there was no internet, so it was Chilton Books. Um, reading the books and you know there was a book for every car that came out that Chilton will have a book with all the specs everything you need to do and you just have to read through it and it was simple so what happened in your 20s that I guess that's where your career started um actually my 30 okay in my 30 yeah so at some point here this is the start of the conversation about Fast and Furious you were street racing, and somebody from Vibe magazine ended up writing an article about underground street racing in New York. And for some reason, I'd like you to explain the article was about you. That, that was much. That was much further along, though. I think no. Yeah. Was this yeah. in your twenties or thirties that this story was written? This the story was written in my thirties, but it came from my twenties. Okay, so what happened in your twenties then? So in my 20s, where I did most of my street racing, and this where um, really in the street, I created a name for myself because I became more like a like a pole hustler, basically. Yeah, because that's my that's my uh, end goal here is why did they write the article about you? Like something okay. happened here that they're like yes. out of all the street racers, we're gonna write it about this guy. So for four to five years, I didn't have a job. My job was street racing, hustling on racing, hustle, making hustle money, you, hustle you on street racing so so you for five years you were just making your money purely from street racing yes and, what, good, and good money better what, than a job what wow. car were you racing at this point um at, when i started i didn't have a car okay. i would borrow everybody's car they would put me to drive the cars basically oh, there you go so i was good that's the best gig nowadays yeah, i was good so Cheaper they would pay way. me to drive the cars and then i would also put money and then you know it was a group of guys like it wasn't just me betting on a race. We had a group of guys that always follow me, always bet money with me. And, you know, we had a lot of rules. I had a, a lot of rules. And, and you know, I was just talking to Tito the other day because me and Tito ran, like, forever in the street. And, and he was saying how I, I was smart because of that, that I kept a group of people always. And, you know, we used to race against big money guys, and we didn't have it. But... If 10, 15 of us got together, then we had the money. It's still the same. It, yeah. Nothing's changed in that sense. Yeah. You so know, the, you, you it, see it, these twenty, thirty thousand dollars street races. Correct. But it's like fifty people putting up that kind of money. Yeah. So the only difference is I come from a neighborhood that was full of drug dealers. They had the five thousand, the ten thousand, but mostly we we didn't race. I didn't, I wouldn't race anybody for under a thousand dollars. That was like my rule. So I picked up on what you said. You said you made more money street racing than you could have made at a regular job. Oh, way more. So what what was a big pot back then? Because we were talking about the 80s, right? Well, the biggest pot I ever raised was 20 grand. That was a lot of money, and it took me all night raising a guy for that kind of money. 
What do you mean all night? Like so, we we raced like four or five times. And is, is that agreed upon before the race starts? No, but but like remember, I'm a hustler, so I started, I started. That's that's a whole like story how that race went down, how that race it. went down. So that that was that was ahead of, of my time already. I was racing the 300 CX. So I'm a very superstitious guy, and when I when I used to go home and I wasn't gonna race, you wouldn't get me out of my house. It's it's just it's not gonna happen. If I come home to me, that's my safe heaven, and if I leave, something's gonna happen to me. That's what I used to think all the time. So that one night. Um, the owner of the 300 CX calls me and he goes, oh, we got to raise, you know, we're going to raise this guy for, for with a Porsche for so much money. I'm like, nah, man, I'm home. I'm in shorts. I'm not going nowhere. He's like, come on, you got to race. I'm going to put the money. Don't worry, you don't have to put the money. I'm like, I'm not going to race. I don't do that. We're going to get a part tomorrow. Why don't we just wait until tomorrow until we get the part, we'll test the car and everything, and then we'll do the race. Don't worry. No, they need to race today. You got to come down. So he convinced me and I came down. To drive his car. Yeah, so I put $500 in my pocket, you know what I mean? Came out in shorts, that's the way I was. I go, boom, I lose the race. I look at him and I say, I told you, man. <laughs> I told you I didn't want to leave my house. Now I'm, I'm $500 out, and there's no other races because there was nothing planned for today, so how do I get my money back? So I was all upset. I, I sat down on, on the these steel benches that were there, and I'm trying to get another race, and I, I'm like, I can't. There's nobody here. So a couple of people started to come by. So this guy comes with a Porsche, a friend of mine. And I said, oh, here's, my, here's the way I'm going to get my money back. I told the guy, listen, you got to race this guy because he beat me. But, you know, you got a Porsche and it's like him. So you could. you could." What was that guy's car? It was a 930. It was a 930 Turbo. So I'm like, you can you can beat him. And he's like, nah, I don't want to race him. Uh, you know, I don't think I can beat him. But you know what? But I'll lend you the car. If you think you can beat him, I'll lend you the car and you drive it. I said, oh, bet. So let me let me set my race up. So I tell the guy, listen, since you beat me with the Z, I want to race you with this thing. But I got no money. <laughs> so I'm, I'm there and I said, I, you know, he's going to let me drive the car. But, you know, these two cars are not the same. You got to give me like a head start. You give me like a car or something. You know, we can do something. So the guy thinks about it. He goes, all right, we'll do something. I said, all right. So let, hold on. Let me gather the money, whatever. So I tell you, the car, you got to let me $500 because <laughs> I lost the money and I'm not going back home. No problem. You know, they used to give me the money because they knew I was good for it. How old were you back then? <sighs> Damn. That was a while back. That was like in 90, 91. 90? 90? That was 90. So in your 20s? That was 90, yeah. yeah. That was 1990. So Were Porsches cheap back then? Because you're I was 23. Were Porsches cheaper back then? Um, well, relevant to the time, they weren't. You know, everything goes with the time. I mean, 15 grand back then was a lot of money, so. I'm but just yeah. trying to put that into perspective because you were like saying you raced a Porsche, another Porsche came by. Oh. Today, Porsches is a lot of money, so it's like. Yeah, but they were they were all over the place. In the neighborhood, they were all over the place. Because you said it was yeah. a lot of. Oh, yeah. So, a lot of funny money and, in the And area. the guys were funny money. And the two guys that. were funny money. The two guys were funny money. So. Okay, okay. So he lends me the car. So we raced for like, I think it was three grand. So I got my $500 back. Oh, you won. I, I, I beat him. Yeah. And then I said, you know, we, we race, let's race heads up again. So my rule was, you bet with me and we're running again, it's double. You can't pull your money out. Your money's got to stay. And if you do, you never bet with me. <laughs> so we kept doubling and doubling. So we kept racing. By the end of the night, I was giving him cars. Oh. <laughs> so that's so those I, two that's same cars kept 
yeah. kept running back to back. I, he, he kept wanting to run me back because he couldn't believe I was beating the, him. The ego takes over at that yeah, point. Yeah, correct. Well, yeah. typically the ego has to talk to the pocket first. They didn't think about it. They didn't think about it. Remember, the first race, he had money that he had won, so... It was okay to lose. Well, he was plus 500, and at the end of the night, ended well, up negative 20,000. Yeah, well, he was more than plus 500. He just took my 500, but it was more than that in the first race, yeah. So you're saying at the end of that night, you walked out 20 It was a 20, It was a 20 grand race. For that, that was a wow. lot of money back then. So there was a lot of pressure on, on everybody for that, yeah. And you originally didn't want to get out of your house and, that night. Uh, we finished <laughs> like about, it was like about 6, 7 in the morning. And we started at 10 o'clock. Wow. That's a story right there. Yeah. So That's a long night. Yeah, that was a long, long night. Long night and a lot of money. Yeah. Street mm -hmm. racing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, on, on a regular basis, on, on a regular basis, weekly, it was about four or five grand I used to make. Wow. Street racing. We used to meet up almost every night, 10 o'clock at night we start. 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and it will go to three, two, four. Now, was this all, like, local cars or there was cars local? coming from all over? No, well... What we call local, which is Bronx, Queens. Yeah, New Manhattan. York, New Jersey, maybe. Yeah. No, I'm just curious because, you know, you figure after a couple nights, yeah, the word to, gets we out. We used to get people that. from up in Yonkers, up in Yonkers come. Like, the word started to get around. For a while, it got it got really big. It, it was really so that's big. crazy. You were saying you were running 7 to 7. Cops didn't come? Like, you, these streets were the, where you were racing well, at? Well, remember the days. Remember the days. No computers. No nothing. You had to call... No cell phones. <laughs> so it's cops didn't time roll back around then. back then. So it didn't roll that, you know, we, we were on top of it. But the way we raced, we started, I started racing quarter mile. But when we were running for the big money, we were running a mile run. And when we block, we blocked the highway. It's like, what is, what is a cop going to do? He's all, like, we'll see cops behind. And it's like, well, he's got to get through, like, let's see, 10 cars. How's he going to get to me? Yeah. And I got an open highway in front of me. By the time there was... There was no, like, let's pull over, none of that. Nobody's pulling over for a cop in those days. That's the way it was. Yeah, what were they in back then? Those were, like, the old oh, Oldsmobile. Yeah, or yeah. Original yeah. Crown Vicks. Yeah. Yeah, forget it. They, it, was, it, was, it was easy to get away from them. It was very easy to get away. Yeah, so, especially with something remotely modified. Oh, yeah. Back then, were, when you were 11 years old and saw your first street race, was it on the highway or? No, it was, uh, it was behind. So it, it wasn't even a quarter mile. They used to run like um like four street poles on the side, on the same side. It was a very short race, but that's what they had. And then eventually it grew into it grew into the mile one, run. One yeah. mile races. That's yeah, and crazy. then going different places. You know, Chase Stadium, Hunts Point at, at the end. You know, those places. Yeah, Hunts Point was one of the big ones. That I yeah. went there like maybe once or twice, and it was probably. The craziest yeah, street racing Ch I've ever got to Chase see. Stadium was really big. And, like, you know, to bring a car towed was the end of the world. <laughs> Where was your favorite place to street race back in the 90s? I, I used to like Chase Stadium. That's where I started. Chase Stadium. I, I, used, to, I used to love Chase Stadium. And that's why I met Tito also. So Craziest story at Chase Stadium. Yeah. I, uh, what do you got? Oh, uh, when I raced Tito, he had a, a Volkswagen. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this Tito guy you keep bringing up? So, uh, uh, you Tito? Know Tito? Eddie, Eddie Bello. Eddie Bello, correct. Yeah, so, oh, the Porsche guy. Yeah, yeah. So, the, the Porsche that does wheelies for yeah, yeah. the listeners so I met that Eddie might not know. I met Eddie Bello in, um, in Chase Stadium because he had a, a Volkswagen Rabbit with, you know, side drives, cams, and all this. And I had an RX2. Some Webbers. Time. Yeah, so I, I had an RX2. 
and he was killing Mazdas with his with his um <laughs> with his Volkswagen Rabbit. So in those days, we were just running for fun. So in Chase Stadium, you will park at the starting line, and whoever lines up next to you, you will run. That was that was the good thing about that. So that's how that's how eventually I got I, I learned a little bit about racing, and I got good about shifting and all that stuff because. You keep doing it over and over and over, and it's just for fun. So you're just going over and over like yeah, if you're you, running out of track. You would run and literally get right back in right line. Right back that, in line. That's how Avenue P was at one point. Correct. It was the same thing. It's like yeah. you would literally pull up. There's a guy that you're standing there flagging, and whoever you're next to, that's who you're racing. That's it. So you, you get good at it. So he was beating all, all the monsters. So everybody's like, oh, he's beating everybody. I'm like running line up next to the guy, and I end up beating him. And, you know, his linkage came off. <laughs> His linkage from the from the shifter came out. That's why he lost. So at the end, he's kicking the car and everything, and I'm laughing. Yo, you okay? <laughs> I'm like, you okay? And that's how I met him. So back, actually, back in the days when you were racing at Hunts Point, was when there were literally prostitutes and fucking crack dealers. Oh down yeah, there. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think, oh, yeah, I think yeah. that's still there. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's it's way more civilized down in Dutchville, yeah. but this is literally like American gangster days oh, with yeah. like Den Denzel yeah. Washington, like. That's where they were selling heroin, yeah. crack, and oh, yeah. prostitutes. Hey, cops, cops didn't even come by. When they came by, it's like, you know, they would just turn on the lights. Everybody get out. They didn't bother nobody. Everybody moved for a little while. So we had a couple of places in, in Hunts Point where we moved. We go there, and then there was a place called Coca-Cola, which is in the same Hunts Point, but just down the block. And this is probably even back then, the cops were dirty back then. You tip the dude 20 bucks and oh, you're like, we, all right, have a good day. Oh, yeah. We didn't tip cops, but, <laughs> but yeah, but like, you know. Those were those days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like cops didn't bother. They just tell you go home and, and that was it. It, it. Plus, racing wasn't a crime. You guys got to go home, but the drug dealers and prostitutes could, could stay. stay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's messed and, up. And racing, <laughs> racing wasn't a crime. Because those guys were kicking back. <laughs> yeah, racing wasn't a crime, so it was okay. They couldn't do anything about it. And if you do get stopped, if you had insurance, remember, that's another thing. In those days, we just used to stick a plate on the car and just drive. So no insurance, no registration. No way of tracking them. No license. I drove for, I drove for like over 10 years with no license. That's wild. So that's how it was yeah. different back then. It was, it's like yeah. he said, there was no internet, there was no social no media, computer, no nothing. They had to call in. So it, whenever they pull you over, they wanted to check something, they had to call in. And you, that took forever. So sometimes they just, whatever, give you three tickets. It wasn't a crime either. They couldn't take your car. They couldn't do anything. They give you five summonses, oh, uninsured, unregistered, unlicensed, or park the car there on the side, and that's it. That's all they can do. And then when they left, you got back on your car and leave. <laughs> <laughs> so in the years that you were street racing, it sounds like you were street racing for a good 10, over 10 years, 15 years um, for money? Yeah, probably from... The good, the good, good racing from like 87 to 92, yeah, about there, five years. Was there any sticky situations that you had? I mean, there's there's funny money, there's, there, there's there, gangsters you were racing there, against. There were, there were, there were. I mean, there's always, you know, like everything else, there's words, and there are words that offend, and, and things happen. But Was there ever a point you, where you're you like, manage. all right, fuck it, I might die doing this shit? Uh, it's this this. There's been situations, you know, they pulled out guns and stuff like that, and then stuff comes down, and, you know, everybody's sorry, and we keep going. That's it. We're here to raise. We're not here to that. But and you're still alive today? I'm still alive, luckily. <laughs> yeah. Well, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. And you do it as a professional career now. <laughs> yeah. Talk about, you're like, you're like 
Jay-Z, you know? Jay-Z <laughs> is a self-admitted crack dealer back then, and he's, he's who now he he's a is businessman. Yeah, he's a businessman. Yeah. And Ralphie, he's a businessman <laughs> now. Used to race with the prostitutes and the drug dealers. <laughs> so at, like, so you, you street race for, let's say, most of the 80s into the early 90s. At what year did you start DRT? 97. 97. So I remember the day exactly. November 15, 1997. Never forget uh, that day. <laughs> what came first, DRT or the Vibe Magazine article? Uh, DRT. But the Vibe Magazine article was being written. Was being written. It, it, took, it took two years for that, for that. Wow. When did they write that article? It, it came out uh-huh. May 1998. Oh, okay. I don't forget that day either. <laughs> so they started writing the article before you started DRT. Yes. So actually, Javier, Javier introduced me to to the guy. Okay, so there's a dynamic there, Javier Ortega, and I want to get into that. Um, what led to DRT starting? And I'm aware that Javier and the editor at Vibe found you. So give a, give us both of those stories. How did you meet Javier? How, we okay. can start there because that kind of will tie it all together. Um, I think. Funny, I think I met him in Eastern. So there was a, 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 a like a, a like a post store called Eastern Autosport. Okay. Down by the by the by the Long Island Expressway, and a lot of you know a lot of cars used to go there. We used to buy all our parts there. Mm. Like um, a, a, the local speed shop. Yeah. Basically. So Mike Mike from Eastern used to work there. He, he that's what he was very young, so he started there, and um, I think I met Javier there when we getting we're, parts. Both you guys were customers, getting parts and all that stuff. Yeah, and then I I did some work for Mike like back then. He had a, a CRX, so I did some work for Mike back then. But I wasn't doing work like like I just did it because I like to do it. Basically. You didn't have a shop. You were no, just, I didn't like, have. You I, were had a, a here and there. I had a friend that had a shop in Yonkers, uh-huh. and he used to let me do work there. I used to hang out there. It, it's kind of the thing of. What I could see is that it's basically like this guy's got a fast car. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, I'm, I want he to, him to work on plus, my car. Plus, that's how all, it starts. All of my all of my cars, except the three hundred ZX, which I used to hate to work on. Oh, the I worst. I used to, yeah. So I used to work on my own cars because that's the way to hide things. So in those days, there wasn't looking under my hood. You're not looking under my hood. <laughs> it doesn't happen. You're gonna raise. This is what I got. You're gonna see. You can look. You can't touch. That's the way it was. So we will do our own thing. So. Everybody used to hate me because they used to say I was a big nitrous guy back then. So, but hey, it is what it is. Hey, there weren't rules then. You yeah, you came you to never win. Never caught me with nitrous. They all kept saying you got nitrous, you got this, you got that. But they can't prove it. I'm skipping around here, but have at one point did you make it to the racetrack? Ooh, uh, in 1990 with the 300 ZX. So uh, there was a place called Prototype in Long Island which was the first HKS dealer here in the country. He used to he used to do work on that car. That the three hundred GX was everything was HKS on that car. Mm-hmm. Everything. And what racetrack did you take it to? English Town. So ba- obviously back then nobody you knew what the car ran. No, no I, we didn't know. And I'm gonna tell you, you're gonna be surprised the person that took us to English Town. It was Kirk Miller. <laughs> was who? Kirk Miller. From AM? Yes. So he used to have a shop here in Clifton. Oh wow! What shop was that? Uh, I forgot the name. IMP? No, 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 no. This was this that was, was way, way oh, this was nineteen ninety. This was before he went to the West Coast. Kirk is from here, from New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So you took the three hundred ZX with Kirk because, to English Town. So in those days, 
company called Trust was coming into the country. And Kirk was the one doing all the installations for it. I met Kirk through a friend that had a Corvette that um, he used to do work for. And then he saw the 300CX. Another friend of mine had another 300ZX, and they put all Trust stuff, which is Gretty, yeah. in reality. But they were going to bring it in as Trust. And um, they put all that stuff into my friend's 300ZX, and that's how I met Kirk. And then they were supposed to test something, so it was the Trust with the HKS to see which one did better. And it, we weren't fast. They were going like 12 eights. That's it in those days. But that was fast. Oh, that was fast back then. Very that was fast. fast. We was going 12 eight, 108 miles an hour. So you went with them to English Town. That's when you finally saw what the co- that the car ran 12s. Correct. That's when. Because I... prior to that, you're just like my car is fast. Yeah. Correct. And even back then, you didn't really know anyone else you were racing how fast they were. So you no just by the look of the so, car, you're betting. So I had a little technique with with a lot of things. So I used to always I always always used to be a blocker because I got a fast car. So I would be a blocker on every race on the mile. What's that mean? That means I'm behind the racers. I'm blocking for them. Oh, okay, okay. Blocking traffic. Right. So now I'm chasing you. So now I know what your car can do because oh, you're racing. Because if I'm, you're catching up to them. I'm right behind you. Yeah. So I know what I can do. Mm. Smart. So You're really hustling them. I hustle them. <laughs> and even though it wasn't correct, I used to do, I used to do little stopwatch runs and know what my car can do all the way down. And I start your car. I know what your car can do, and I, I can figure things you out. Could, you could get it in the ballpark, which Correct. at that point, then it's a Correct. gamble. So now I know what heads up I can give you. And that was about, that's that's how they used to race me. I'm always going to make you think that you're going to beat me. So I'm giving you a heads up. You'd be like, I got to beat him. But you end up not beating me. <laughs> we got a little off path there. So we <laughs> went from, how did you start? Why did you start DRT? So DRT got started with when Javier put it into my head. <laughs> oh, so we actually skipped. How did yeah. you meet Javier then? So you guys met at that shop? Yeah, I think it was there. I don't, I don't remember. He'll probably, lead, he'll probably tell us better. But how did it lead into you guys starting a shop together? Um, we, used to, we used to talk about, he used to come to the place where I was um, working, and we used to talk about it. And he always kept saying, when, you know, I wanted to have a shop. Why don't we put a shop? And I'm like, oh, I don't want to deal with that. And and one thing led to the other, and then I was I was building a car, that was the first car, serious car that I that I built, and it was it was a friend of mine. I was just building it. He was putting all the money. It was his car, and it was an EG. It was a white EG, and we wanted to. There was a, a race called Street Wars, and that's where they got the name in, in Fast and Furious, whatever they call it, Street something or War Ra- something. Race Wars, yeah, race war, something race they call wars. it. But that's where they got the name from because they knew the story. So I was building a car, and it was a year. I had a year to build that car. And believe me, it's not like now that you walk to a store and get rods and get pistons. No. We had to wait two months, a month. So it was very tough. All the parts were in California. There was nothing around here. Um, but we managed to put it together. And believe it or not, uh, um, George was the one who tuned the, that car, actually, with a Howtech. George Ayano from Bullish. Yeah, he which, he which back me. then was probably Rally Motorsport. Rally Motorsport, correct. Yeah, Rally then. Motorsport, and, and we made 450 horsepower, which is was unheard of. This was a white EG with uh, it had white Axis touring cups on it. Correct. I yeah. remember and that. It said, it and it said it was in a magazine. 
Yeah, it said um, Speed and Sound on the side. Yeah. yeah, that was on the cover of, what was that, Super Street? Speed and you sound. probably have that, man. Yeah, yeah I probably, probably just gave it to you. box he gave me. Yeah, yeah on, on, it used to say Speed and Sound, because that's the shop I used to I used to go. That's my, he's still there, actually. Yeah. That shop's still there. Oh, so you so you were working at Speed and Sound? I will do my things there. He was working the out of there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So at some point, Javier Ortega was like, yo, let's start a shop together. Yes. When he saw how I, and I was, I got I didn't have any confidence. I'm like, look, I'm not a mechanic. I didn't have any tools. But um, somehow we, we created a dream and we made it happen. Who came up with DRT? Because it stands for Drag Racing Technology. Oh, yeah. People used to think it was Dominican Racing Team. I don't know why. <laughs> 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 So um, we that was one of the first, uh, not argument, but things me and Javier had difference on. So it was, I remember I we came up with a couple of names. One was tuning the tuning shop. Um, I forgot there was a couple of names. It's like no, I don't like that one. No, I don't like that one. And then we agree on drag racing technology, and then after we had the name, we were like, man, we came up with a bad name because um, it's specific to drag racing. Yeah, but um, the the so the same guy that wrote the story had a, a a roommate that was a designer. He does um like um plaster walls and architecture in downtown in very expensive apartments. So I fixed his car, and he said he wanted to do my logo. He said, oh, you know, I'm going to design the logo for you guys. I want you guys to let me do." It. I was like, "Okay, whatever, whatever you want to do." <laughs> We didn't even know what the guy's talking about. <laughs> so when you guys opened your doors, did you have customers off the roof? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. We we had a customer right the minute we opened the door. But yeah, you said you didn't have no tools, so how you work on these cars? That's another story. So <laughs> I had I had a friend of mine called Juan Sanchez, right? He's still he's still a good friend of mine. And um, he, he came to work with me. He used to work for Verizon in those days, um, a mechanic. And he went to Ohio Diesel. And he had a toolbox, and he came in, and we were using his toolbox until we made some money and actually bought some tools. <laughs> so that's it was a it was a it was an experience. It was definitely an experience. And this is the 90, 97. 97, correct. 97. 97. All right, so we're gonna fill in the gaps here. Ninety seven, you opened up a shop with Javier DRT. Javier met. Tell us that story about this Vibe magazine editor and why he wanted to write the story and how he found Javier. So. It started in the Daily News. He was really a writer for the Daily News. So he was a freelance writer for Vibe. So he did a story on a Sunday paper about um, things that went on in New York. And street racing happened to be one of them. And he, actually, Mike still has the paper on the wall, <laughs> the the, fir the very first article that he wrote. And we went down to um, that track in Long Island, which is closed now, was actually open back then and, and and he was there asking and everybody kept mentioning my name the guy you need to talk to is Rafi the guy you need to talk to is Rafi this is before he wrote the newspaper article this is while he's writing the newspaper article he was doing his research yeah okay so he was doing he wrote it for the paper first small article and then he five gave him the the opportunity to write something about it about street racing which was supposed to be like a quarter of a page that's why it took us so long. Like he's like, I gotta make this right. I I don't have much, much space to write, so it has to be perfect. So he knew about street racing, but wasn't a street racer, but wanted to write about it. So that's he didn't know anything about street racing. 
The guy, listen, the guy bought a car. He didn't even know how to He's drive. He's a reporter. Stick. Yeah, he didn't even know how to drive. Stick. I, I, we, he had an automatic Civic, an EK, right? And I put a clutch in it. And he's asking me, <laughs> Javier went down with me to, to deliver the car. And when I go down to deliver the car, he goes, um, can I tell you something? I said, yeah, okay, here's the car. Everything's good. You can just drive. He goes, no, I don't know how to drive stick. I'm like, my man, we're in Manhattan. <laughs> can you take me around the block and just give me like a quick crash course? <laughs> so this, who, somebody <laughs> gave this guy the topic of street racing. And he's like, I got to go find somebody who street yes. races. So let me start at the racetrack. Started asking around. Everyone he went to Eastern to, to Eastern Autosport. He oh, went. Wow. He went to that place first. And he's and like, he's I Asian, and interview. all those guys were Asian. So he sat there, and then everybody, like I said, everybody kept mentioning my name. So there was some guy named Robert. The story was going to be with him, but he didn't speak any English, so it was kind of hard. Yeah. So everybody started mentioning my name. So he's like, who's this Rafi guy? Who's this Rafi guy? And it's like, you know, then people were telling me, you know, this guy, we're telling him about, he's asking for you. I'm like, I don't want to know about the guy. It's like, he's the cops. Yeah, I don't want to know about that guy. It's like I'm, street I'm, outlaws when I'm they first I'm trying to make my up. money. I'm trying to make my money. I don't want to deal with that guy. Why is this guy asking for me? Yeah, so it was funny. But even before, for, for a long time, it, it was very hard to let him come with a camera to a street race. Nobody wanted to be on camera. It took a, it took me a long time to tell people, no, look, he's just he's a reporter. Believe me, I've been with him all the time. We we used to meet downtown in different places, um, just to 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 talk about the story and all that. And then, but it was very hard to get him to come with a camera. Well, keep in mind this camera is a thirty-five millimeter. You have to get yeah, the photos developed yep. type camera. Correct. Correct. So. He came around because of Javier or because of just everybody collectively referring you? Yeah, Javier introduced him to me. Okay. He, Javier convinced me to actually meet the guy. To do it. Because yeah. back then you were partners already? No, we weren't partners. But he was, he, he, you know, Javier is very persuasive. <laughs> Got it. So in this time, the two years it took this guy to write this article, you, you opened up shop. And then this article comes out called Racer X in Vibe magazine. Yep. And this is the start of the Fast and Furious story because the original Fast and Furious storyline was created based on the original writer reading this Vibe article and saying, I could make that a movie. Correct. So basically when he wrote it, um, you know, we rushed to the, to the local place to buy the magazine, of course. And uh, a couple of years after, he actually called me and said, "Look, some I'm, I, I got a, I got a, I got an agent, and they think this could be a movie, and you know I think I'm gonna sell it or whatever." Well, good luck, you know. Who's this guy who wrote the article? What's his name? Ken Lee. So Ken Lee, oh, somebody bought the. Yeah, he sold the article for three hundred thousand, <laughs> basically. Yeah. What? Yeah. Well, and who, believe me, believe me. It? By the end, by the end of the whole story. He was very disappointed with what he sold it for. <laughs> uh, yeah, judge it. Ten, ten, yeah. ten movies later. Yeah. Well, no, one movie later he yeah, was disappointed. <laughs> so Ken Lee sold the story that inspired Fast and Furious for three hundred thousand. Correct. No royalty, and is there, yeah. upset. Yeah. He thought he made it back then. And 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 the, the <laughs> that's truth, a lot of money, dog. Yeah, and the truth in the nineties too. And yeah. The truth of the matter was that we we were like. I went to the premiere like of the, of the first movie. That's how I saw it. 
and like we were both like literally embarrassed to say that we had anything to do with it of course right yeah, from, from a true gearhead perspective yeah. I, same thing i remember when we went to see it in theaters it was like you know some of the stuff they were saying it's like this yeah you know, cars with like 17 gears yeah like you know like a, a motec exhaust yeah and it was so simple to fix just say a motec and an exhaust it would have been fixed right there that's it <laughs> it would have been fixed but it is what it is so I just looked up the timeline. Vibe article came out in 98. First Fast and Furious released in 2001. 2001. So they probably started filming it in 99, 2000. No, it was very quick. Very, I mean, I don't know if you saw the documentary that they just did that they explained how low budget it was. Yeah. When they started, I mean, so they, they, only, the they, only, they only had $20 million. <laughs> who, bought, who bought the article from Ken Lee? Was it a studio or was it... No, so it was oh, what's the guy's name? It was act, the, the the actual producer, and and the producer was actually in the first movie. So when when they're at the light with the he's the guy with the, the, the super the, the guy in the Ferrari. That's right. the producer, the executive producer okay. of the movie. I do remember hearing that from yeah. somebody. That's the executive producer of the of the movie. So and and also for our listeners, if you have one of the original Fast and Furious DVDs from the first movie. If you go into like the bonus features and the extras, there's a whole thing about Ralphie and the Racer X thing in yeah. the DVD. Then, and that was only in the first six months of the DVD. Then, it, then uh, every DVD after that doesn't have it. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I I have one of yeah. those that has one of the originals, I guess. So it was directed by Rob Cohen, but the producer is Neil Moritz. That's it. Neil Moritz is the guy's name. Yes. So Neil Moritz read this article that Ken wrote and was like, "Yo, I'm gonna turn this into a movie." Yep. I'm going to give you 300K so you have nothing to do with it anymore. Mm. And what's up with that guy, Ralphie, who the article was about? Did he get anything from this? No. No. <laughs> no. Uh, that's so crazy. No. That's okay. Life has a funny way. So. so for anybody who has an issue with me saying this is the original Dominic Toretto, I mean, talk to me because this sounds pretty <laughs> legitimate to me. What do you, no, what, yeah, what's your definitely, take? Right? No, I, I agree. Like we spoke about this earlier today, like just putting the timeline of this together. And it's like, you know, just obviously I knew that there was a lot of involvement there. There was some of the story behind it was based off of Ralphie. So I'm like, all right, like, because there's, you know, there's always guys that are like, oh, you know, we were involved with it. We were this. Because I know there's a couple guys that are, are in motorsports that were like on set, I guess, as consultants Correct. for that. Yeah. So uh, back then. originally that was supposed to be my job. Mm -hmm. Why weren't you a consultant? That was supposed to be my job. This guy, so Neil Moritz, should have been like. This guy knows about racing. We should hire him. So, so the original movie was supposed to be filmed in New York, okay. and and Which I makes did, sense. The and I did, and, and they did come to New York. They did come to New York. I I took one of the writers around with with Ken for we we drove a couple of nights around to different different spots in racing. Show me and, and he actually wrote. Listen, he actually wrote like that scene when 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 they first get to to the to like the. The, the over where, where all the buildings are and, yeah, and, and yeah, that he downtown wrote that. area and, and believe me i was i was very proud of, of that because that's what he saw he he did that he wrote that part really really well like about mm -hmm. what he saw and it looks very legitimate that's the same way it was you get there the music that's what he saw the, the people with the loud music people hanging out and, and burnouts that's Block, what he's blocking saw. the streets off yeah so he he wrote exactly what he saw he did a very good recreation of what he saw so now this neil Mor 
why did they, why did they hire you as a consultant? Uh, because in the end, the movie got shifted over because of budget issues to California. And so what's up? You and they there's thought, planes. Remember, once they start hiring people, right? They're all from the area. They like, oh, we can get these people. They got most of those people for free. So they just said, okay, we got a meeting. Boom, everybody showed up. Like they they couldn't believe how many cars showed up. So they probably thought they couldn't get that here. Then they had budget issues to fly people back and forth. I mean, to close the street in New York, not going to cost you a thousand bucks. No, definitely not. So they had twenty millions. And and if you look at the documentary that just came out now on um, ah, I forgot the name of this um, channel that just they just did a, a whole series of everything how everything went down. They only had twenty twenty millions. Then the guy kept asking for more money, and it's like they bought it up to thirty, and like still not enough. They ended up spending forty. So imagine, to produce the first one. Yeah, so imagine it. Yeah, but then... Imagine the, trying to do that in New York. But the movie, I know the exact numbers of the movie. So What the, are they? The movie made, after the $40 million they spent, they take them out. So the profit was $750 million. That was the first movie alone. So display what numbers you hear anywhere else. That's and believe me, those are the real numbers because I got them. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> they, they had to give me all the numbers on the movie. Why'd they have to give it to you? We had a little conversation afterwards, and we square a couple of things away, and it worked out. There you go. Yeah. So you took a little bit of your 80s personality from the streets and said- A little bit well, of his hustle. Y'all wrote a know, little movie about you, me. You, 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 you grow up, and you learn things, and you get people that put you in the right direction, and, and if you listen, you do well. So you, you got a little bit of something from yeah. this movie. Yeah. I did. Okay. And the long run. Well and then deserved. I didn't want anything to do. I I went into that world and I saw what that world is. And when you look at the racing world, you think the racing world and the drug world and this is dirty. They're worse. They're just yeah. The Hollywood life is definitely. Uh... I mean, they lied in your face. Like Neil Morris sat in front of me and said, and and they asked him, "Do you know? Do you know the name Rafael Estevez?" He goes, "I never heard it." Who said that? Oh, he said that. Yeah. I mean, Meanwhile, this man was driving around. I'm in, in front of his face looking at him. What? So I'm like, I wanted to just take the, the, the article and throw it at him. <laughs> the New York should have came out so, of here. You know, so, <laughs> so once I saw how dirty that world is, I'm like, I, I don't ever want any part of this. Wow. So that's kind of wild. There was potential for this movie to be based out of New York, but... Yep. Because of the budget. Yeah, which Be makes sense. Man, yep. this this movie probably would have been a whole lot different had well, they now, stuck to now the Well, now they're in every other country now. And if you look at it, I mean, you got you got Vin Diesel. When he went he went in the Tonight Show saying, we're bringing it back home. Because he always wanted to bring it back to New York. Wonder, you think Vin Diesel knows this, this he knows He knows who I am, but he never wants to meet me, so. That's <laughs> Because we, we he, tried. He's like the executive producer of, of. No, no. So this is this is how it is. He left, right? He left for a reason. He wanted to be part of it. He wanted to own part of it. Right. The only way he came back was when they gave him the franchise. They gave him the franchise. Mm -hmm. He owns it. And he, he knows this all started from your story. Oh, he knows. He knows. Yo, what's up, Vin Diesel? You watching this right now? <laughs> We're in New Jersey. H holler at your boy. Yeah. Come nah, talk to us. He never wants to meet me. Come into the hot seat over <laughs> here. We'd like to have you as a guest. Yeah. Right I mean, next to for, Ralphie. For I think it was eight that he went uptown to he he actually went uptown to debut it. 
you should have show you should have yeah. showed up with him. <laughs> should have popped up there like, hey, yeah. you got a seat for me? He thinks he's Dominican inside though. <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah, he thinks he goes, he's always in Dominican <laughs> Republic. He's always there. What was what I think yeah. one of the movies actually they went to the DR. Uh, they filmed, they filmed, oh, they went to Brazil, yeah. Yeah, no, but they filmed, yeah, they filmed some parts in Dominican Republic as well, correct? Yeah. So have. again, if you're a fan of Fast and Furious, thank this guy. <laughs> the, the original Dominic Toretto. Anyone has a problem with that? <laughs> I don't know if you got a problem after talk you just Brian, heard the real talk story. Talk to Brian if you have a problem. I don't know. <laughs> He's setting this, Bri this Brian's is, his agent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like it. Let's backtrack here uh, to... Actually, no, let's move on to DRT because, okay, the article was written in 98, movie came out, DRT. There's already a shop at that because point. You're not in, because you're yeah. not in the movie, you know, you had time for DRT. <laughs> I know DRT as a kid. I remember seeing me going to the racetrack, seeing mm. the uh, white coupe twin turbo with the two chrome or polished turbos up front with mm -hmm. the T white T37s, very stylish back then. I appreciate it. I've the first, the, the, they were the first. The OG T37s, too. And the, and the first front mount turbos. Nobody had front mount turbos Correct. Then, until no. now. <laughs> yeah, back then, no. So, yeah. Were those 17s in the back? Yeah. Remember Nino? Wow. Okay. You remember Nino? So, Nino gave me those rims. Oh, from Wired? Yeah. Oh, from, what? AX, from Axis? From Axis. You know, I guess those were 17s just because I saw a picture yeah. of it recently. I was like, yo, those are skinny tires on yeah, there. Yeah, those yeah. must be 17s. Remember, those days was about the look. We wasn't yeah. running fast. A lot, a it lot was of about the, the look. If you look at a lot of the older pro cars like Bergenholtz, Kubo, yep. Kenny Tran, they all had, it was either uh, Volks or Racing Hearts. They yeah. had like the Type Cs in the back or the C2s, C5s. Still had to look good. Yeah, that's Yeah, it. they still, that's they it. all did it. That's it. Yeah, but we weren't going pretty fast. I mean, running 10s was like, no, eight now, that was, seven that, now, was, that, so. was the, that was the yeah. head of the class back then. Fastest you went in that car? 9.49. So that was fast. Yeah. So it was, uh, I, I raced the beginning, the first six months of NHRA, I raced it. And that was and categorized as an outlaw? That was or, the hot rod class, probably. Um, it was a hot rod class. Probably. Okay. Yeah. So within that pass, how, or within that class, how competitive was that car? I went. I, I top of pack. I mean, middle. I went. I went to the semis in in, in the first at HRA. You built. And that I was always in the semis, most, mostly. You never, guys never built that won car in house. Yeah, built it in house. B series from the right? from the beginning. From the beginning when we opened. So that car was donated to us by um by a, a friend of mine called David. He was actually in the shop a couple of days ago. <laughs> it's funny. Um, it, the 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 junkyard used to be called All in One. And it was, it was, that car was like, it had like not even 5,000 miles when, when I got it. And all they wanted was the engine back and all the stuff. I said, yeah, all I wanted is the shell. And they gave me the shell. So what made you do the front mounts? Because it hasn't been done. Still, no one's doing it. Like So a good friend of mine, my mentor, <laughs> he's my mentor. He told me how to tune. You want to shout him out? Told me a lot of stuff. He's my like my father, man. He's uh, it's Joe Spetta Senior. Okay. So Turbo people. Yeah. So Joe Spetta Senior had um, we were having a conversation once in a dyno, and I was talking about somebody built a twin turbo, but they didn't work. He goes, "It didn't work." What do you mean? I said, "Yeah, it was a four cylinder, so it didn't work because they." They did a weird manifold. Was it the SPI CRX? That Correct. Blue it was CRX? Mike. I remember it that. It was car. Mike. Mike from, from Misha. So we were having that conversation. He goes, you know what? Let's 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 make a twin turbo. 
let's let's take that challenge. Let's make a twin turbo. I'm gonna get everything. I'll get Turbo Netics to get us everything. But well, let alone okay, let's make a twin turbo, but let's also put it in the front front mount. Yeah. So this is how the front mount came. Um, so in those days, I still have the Banafold, by the way. I will never sell it. <laughs> Just because it cost me too much money. So I'd rather <laughs> nobody have it. <laughs> uh, so he sends me over to Cooks to make the manifold. Um, Cooks take, took like a month, month, a month and a half to make. When I go see the manifold, the manifold is all the way on the floor. I'm like, how am I supposed to put a drain on this thing? So I called Joe because Joe recommended the guy. So it, the old guy is pretty, you know, I don't want to offend him. <laughs> Because so, he he had a lot of knowledge, so I called Joe and I said, "I'm Joe, you know this guy. I can't put no drain on this thing. What am I?" So he's going, "Oh, put a pump, put this, put that." I'm like, you know, I'm not paying him, you know, peanuts for this thing. I'm I'm not even asking him whatever he says. I'm going to pay. So I want this thing done right. He goes, "You know what? Just go up to him, tell him the same way you're talking to me, and tell him, you know what, my man, you fucked up. You got to do my manifold again." And he did. But whose idea was let's make it front mount? So cooks because all the Mustangs were front mount in those days. Mm, okay. All the the Mustangs were the one who started to do the front mount. Yeah and, yeah. and and you know, so he got it from there. He said, "Why don't we, let's just make it like this?" So it's front mount. So the manifold is 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 very simple. So to this day, you're the first and only Civic to have twin turbo front mount turbos. That worked. Yeah, some guy yeah. has some guy has yeah, it now. One of the one of the guys from Colorado has yeah. like a twin turbo some CRX or something. Yeah, yeah. There's Which, a, there's I'll tell you there. what, if it was allowed in sport front wheel drive, it is the best thing because uh, don't give these guys no idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was it was it was banned by the NHRA, so NHRA banned me. Luckily enough, my manifold was designed in a, in a very nice way, and I can put a single or I can put a twin. Oh, uh, okay. So it's it's a two piece manifold. Why they ban it? Um, they asked me that first year because they were, they were, they were, so. Because it was different. Yeah. So plus the story is I, the first NHRA, I met Marty and the, the GM team. Are you banned from NHRA? The car was banned? Or no, the turbo no, no. setup was no, banned? No, they, they asked me, they asked me and I said, you know what? I'm going to go single next year. It's okay. But I bet, I bet Marty, Marty that, that, that year. And we came with an open trailer. We were parked next to him. Man, I didn't even have a 10. I didn't have anything. Ladwig? Yeah. Okay. So they were very nice. I mean, they they we parked next to them. They the big eighteen wheeler. They they gave us a tar a, 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 a tan. They gave us food, everything. So you know, and then they're like, oh, they come and look at the car. Oh, you got a nice program. I'm like, program? We ain't got no program. We're just a bunch of guys racing, man. You know, we're not like you guys. Goes, no, no, nice program. So guess who we need, who we get to run in the first round? <laughs> you smoked them? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, which wasn't very nice. They weren't very happy about oh, it. But they wow. were like, yeah, man, you guys deserve it, this and that. And then, you know, we kept beating them a couple of times. And then they because stopped they were just starting. They were just starting. They were running the Sunfire at, at that yeah. time. And then they had the pro front-wheel drive car. That was at the beginning of that. Correct. That and they, so that thing was going through hell. That thing was breaking they, trends. They had, everyone looks at, everyone remembers that program, like, when it was in its heyday. Yes. And they were dominant. But they yeah. don't, a lot of people forget those early years where they struggled with a lot of yeah. stuff. So I, I made a rule to myself in it that I would run the first six months, and if I wouldn't get a sponsor, then I'm not going to continue because everything went to the West Coast, and I'm not. That's going to be a long travel, days off. I'm not gonna. I can't deal with that. And in those days, the the guy that helped me the most was Frank from from Dry Shot Shop. Oh wow! Yeah, Frank used to give me money for every race, but you know, I I would 
Frank, the first set of axles that Frank built, I, I used them. And it was funny because I, I told him I'm going to be back. And he's like, what do you mean? I paid $500 for those things. I don't forget. <laughs> it was a lot of money back then. Oh, yeah. And I said, like, what's the guarantee? Oh, don't worry. You're not going to break them. If you break them, I'll fix them back. I said, okay, I'll be back tomorrow. He thought I was laughing. I went to English Town. They didn't even get a run. It broke right there on the spot. I came back the next day. He goes, no way. I'm like, well, I told you it was going to happen. And that's how we developed our relationship. So you had the first set of drive shaft shop axles. Yeah, and ever. I gave I gave them back to him. He has them. He has them on the wall. <laughs> wow, a lot of first, a lot of yeah. first with you. He has them on the wall. Well, it was, it was the start of an era too. So yeah. right, this is the birth. Of, like Ralphie yeah. was around for the birth yeah. of the import yeah. racing. He, he was there through all the growing pains yeah, of learning yeah. that you need to get custom mm -hmm. axles and yeah, custom pistons. Arias was the first company who started making pistons for for us. That will have them in stock. Yeah, that's a that's a big you know fam. Well, now they're owned by CP, but yeah. that was a big family-owned business Correct. for a long time. And Crower, and that's that's why I'm with Trump Piston because Trump Piston. So Barry Mesa was the head guy at, at Arias. Arias, and I know him for 25 years. So when he opened his company, I I went with him. Yeah. So this, would you say this twin turbo Civic is what you know made DRT, a known company, like a known tuner shop? I had a lot of cars before then, but in, in uh, so in the magazines, yes. Yeah, because it got a lot of... Yeah, it got a lot, a lot it of... It was these. in... Whenever these Super Street but so did modified... The, so did the first car I built before DRT. So the first car before DRT caught um, the attention of Shark Carson. He was the one who actually took pictures of the car and put it on turbo. And that was like crazy because I was... A nobody then. Which car was this? That e the white EG. The, the, the white EG. Yeah. Okay. I got. I Did guess, it have a big DRT on it? No, it says speed and sound. It was before oh, the DRT. speed and sound yeah. car. Yeah, okay. it was before DRT. I remember. So that car ran eleven right out the gate. So yeah, we I remember that car had a crazy sound. We were running eleven thirties. That was a one thirty three. So that was fast back in ninety six. <laughs> very fast. That was very fast in ninety six. So for a long time, I was the East Coast fastest Honda, and that's how we we created DRT. And we kept calling DRT the East Coast fastest in uh, until John Brown came on and ran 1095. It took me forever. I ran 11.0 and I stood there for a while. For how many years were you the fastest Honda? Oh, for, for a while. It was for a while, definitely for a Two while. Two years? Four years? I think more than that. I think more than that, yeah. Because I think John Brown ran it like in 99 or 2000. And remind me, so you grew up with Toyotas and Mazdas. When did you switch into Hondas? Where did this come in? When I build that Honda. <laughs> the EG? Yeah. When I build that Honda, correct. So Honda is a floor, it's a foreign platform to you at that and, point. And, and also front wheel drive. Because the first front wheel drive that True. I ever saw in the street racing was the Dodge Shelby. Oh, this yeah, was the, this yeah. The that turbo, was the yeah, turbo that thing came and kicked our ass big time. <laughs> yeah. We didn't know that thing was terrible. We didn't know a bunch of stuff. <laughs> so So literally, I mean, we were going back. We just mentioned that you were one of the pioneers of this racing in the import industry. You took a lot of the hardship of learning what was wrong. But now knowing that you had the fastest Honda for so many years, in general or just the East Coast? Fastest Honda in the U.S.? Or uh, in, in the, the East Coast, because the West Coast was going 10s in, in those days. Okay. They, they were going 1090s, 11.0s. So knowing you had the fastest Honda in the East Coast, that means all the trials and tribulations of building a fast honda you 
you went through it before everyone else did. Oh yeah, yeah. We broke blocks. So and then also another another thing that helped us was Sean Carson when he because Sean Carson came up with the with new forms. Remember, he was the owner of new forms, and new forms had the black guard. We we were the distributor for 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 black guard here at the beginning, and we tested it for him as well. So because we used to break the blocks a lot, <laughs> a lot. And then that came in, and that solved a lot of the problems. So it was, you know, one, one, one after the other. So were a majority of the cars that DRT worked on Hondas? Yes. Because yes. you were known as that, that guy. Yeah, for a very long time. That was, and that's one of the reasons why I think DRT lasted as, well, still, it still is, but it, it grew as, as fast as it did because it, we, we picked a platform that was, very common and, and and upcoming. Remember, they they called the Honda the the Chevy 350. They were calling yeah. it at the time. So and and up to this day, and what people don't understand is that it's a very affordable car. So it's a hand-me-down car, basically. That's what it was. So there was a lot of them. And there was tons of aftermarket support yeah, for them. Because when you when you look at it, Benny had Benny Benny opened Performance Factory just about the well. He was downtown first, but he came to Queens and opened the second Performance Factory. When he called it Performance Factory and when he see at the same time. And he didn't last as long because he was he went with the Supras, and the Supras didn't sell much. Benny mm -hmm. Tan. Yeah, and the Supras didn't sell much, so he he picked a platform that was kind of hard. Yeah, it was more expensive, so he made more money. Let's say with with less volume, we had to do more volume yeah. to make the same money, but we were able to the, last longer because of the platform. Customer, this different customer base. Yeah, but because of the platform, we were able to last longer. So I remember, in those days, was the Honda. The, the Toyota Supra and the Mitsubishi's. That's, you know, uh, um, Foreign Tricks was around, I think it was, Foreign Tricks. Um, oh, um, Turbo Tricks. Turbo Tricks. Turbo, Turbo Tricks. Tricks. Yeah, right. that, yeah, Turbo yeah, Tricks yeah. was around. Yeah, they were in, like, North so, Jersey back yeah, then. Yeah, so it was Turbo Tricks, um, a stream, stream from Maryland. Yeah. Like, we did a big, we did a big, um, a lot of people still remember this thing. Every time they they mentioned that, I, I laughed. That's, it was a it was on a Wednesday night. Javier set up a, a race between Extreme a and race. a match race, Extreme and, and and us. So it was Honda. It was a big Honda against Mitsubishi thing in those days. Where was this at? At English Town. Probably for like a night of three. On a, on or a Wednesday night, yeah, on a Wednesday night. Yeah. They paid us three hundred bucks. I don't forget that. Either. <laughs> and we're talking about the era here. So, like you said, this is glory days. You could right. go to the Toyota dealership and buy a MK4 Super. You could go to the Honda yeah. dealership yeah. and buy a Civic because you're talking 92 to 95. So you're literally yeah. going to the Honda dealership and buying an EG. Yeah, yeah that, back then the supercars were, you know, the RX-7, the 300ZX, right. yep. the Supra. So like you said, that's big money back then because you're yeah. literally buying them from the dealership. They were, Supras were what, like probably 40 grand back then, I yeah, think? Yeah, like because the 300 was 30,000. Yeah. 28 to 30 was the 300ZX. Oh, those were those were big. A cars Honda back was then. like seventeen thousand, sixteen thousand. Yeah, Honda back then. Yeah, my brother had a uh, ninety-nine coupe, and I think that thing EX coupe was like fifteen, sixteen thousand. Yeah. yeah, they were very affordable. Yeah. If you guys are listening to this podcast and you made it this far, if you're listening to the podcast, you could also head over to our YouTube and catch the visuals of the podcast. We have a YouTube channel where the video is posted. Or if you're watching us on YouTube and you just want to listen to us in your car, you could also subscribe and listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And we actually have a little bit of promo to drop in here. If you're watching, 
because Ralphie is on this episode, we're offering a 15% promo code off of eatsleeprace.com. Use the promo code Ralphie DRT. That's R-A-L-P-H-Y-D-R-T. You'll get 15% off your order. And I'm going to give a little plug to DRT Racing. <laughs> Stop by his shop in South Amboy, New Jersey. DM him on Instagram, DRT Racing. DRT Racing. And I got a brand new um, YouTube page that I'm working on now. And it's got a Ralphie's couple of, World. Ralphie's World, correct. And I also have a, a Ralphie's World Instagram as well. So, Ralphie, you mentioned your YouTube channel. Before we even get to there, what is DRT? Like, why would someone take reach out to DRT today? Well, now is very hard for me. <laughs> so um, now I pick and choose whatever I take. Um, I'm I'm up to that point where I can do a lot of things, but I really don't want to do some things. Because you could so, you do mechanic work, you're a correct, tuner. Correct. So I, I do. What does Ralph you like doing? Uh, I don't enjoy tuning anymore. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't find it challenging enough. Wow. I don't, like at the beginning um plus so this might filter down a lot of inquiries to your page it's okay it's okay because i still get i still get my tuning i still get my my i i have a lot of people that are very loyal and still come to me or, or mostly word of mouth um or when somebody has an issue and i end up figuring it out and stuff like that what's so. your specialty what platform uh, on what for, for tuning um i mean i tune by just about everything i mean i was very big on am because i you know i did a lot of r&d for them and and all that but um i tune just about everything how tech the new ones max just about everything everything around them what was the uh first ecu you ever tuned axel dfi Excel dfi <laughs> i figured so that's from my mentor of course yes so yeah, if right. somebody watching this was like i want to reach out to drt to do something what would you say today? Like, reach out to me if it's no. For... I, I still build engines. I still do um, regular work. Yeah. Regular well, engine work wise, engine. it's got to be Honda. It's got to be a Toyota. I know you're a two JZ guy now. <laughs> Big two JZ guy. Don't say over that. Here. People say I jump ship. <laughs> but yeah. it's true. Yeah, you are big well, two Jay Z guy I, over I, here. It just happens to be the car I have now, and uh, I, I, you know, I drive a real wheel drive car now. That's all it. But um, you know, a, a couple of years I, I had. I left racing for a little while, and um, Felix got me into a car, and I had 14 years. I never drove a front-wheel drive or didn't get into a car to race, just drove a regular car back and forth to work, and I had DRT, of course. And I ended up going to the finals with Silva, actually. Yeah, yeah, I, he beat I me. He that. beat me in the finals. What car were you driving? Uh, it was it was some car that Felix tuned that it was, he got it me was to drive. A, it was one of Dynamics customers. Yeah, that, it was I think a car from like Massachusetts yes, that they correct. had been working on, and then it was one of those that I think whoever was driving it wasn't around that weekend, and they're like, yeah. "Hey, you want to drive it?" And, yeah. and then I ended up eliminating Felix and Dynamic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After they so got you me didn't the race ride. for fourteen years. Yeah, and I got in the car. I, I had believe me, I had such an issue with the with the strain gauge because I like to hold the steering the shifter. So that's, Felix, that's like, you can't stay with your hands in the shifter. I'm like, well, you know, I'm gonna take me a couple of passes for me to get used yeah. to that. This and is it, Felix Medina. He's talking about another yeah, another local tuner. Yeah, yeah. that so, was actually my second career win ever. Yeah, was against him <laughs> at English Town. And it was at, a close. It was a close SummerSlam. It was a close. It was at SummerSlam. Yeah. So, let's go to there. Why'd you? Not raced for 14 years. What, so you went from making four thousand dollars a week racing for 
over 15 years to the shop and making nothing we were making like 150 at the beginning in the shop um uh, but it was it was a life experience and then the shop was doing well um this i used to live in 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 the bronx by 238 street on the bronx river all the way down and um i felt my kids were not going to graduate high school i felt my kids were going in the wrong direction and i decided to do something about it and i decided to move to new jersey and this was in 2005. and this is why you stopped racing and this is when i when i was seeing that that uh, nhra is not doing the right thing and this is going to go away well my chance to part this car out and buy a house and take my kids to a better school and give them a better life so i had that choice to think about and some people might think that it was easy that yeah you just drop it and and but you know when you have a passion for something it becomes hard but then you have your family so it becomes even harder and i made the choice to part out the car and buy the house and now i'm proud to say that my kids graduated my daughter has got her she's, she's working on her doctor degree and more than what i expected and i'm, I'm very proud of that very yeah. cool yeah. so there were actually two career stops. Your first career was a street racer making a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> so when did you stop being a street racer and became a drag strip only racer? Uh, when Once I opened the shop. When you started DRT yeah. in 97, yeah, you once, gave up street once racing? Once I opened the shop, I didn't want to street race anymore. I um, Now I have the shop. Plus, we were, like I said, we weren't making, again, I weren't making a lot of money. We weren't making, we were just making enough to make ends meet. So, so we, wouldn't that make more sense to street race? Because you're not making money, but let me keep street racing so I could make money. Yeah, but I, I, I'm, I've always been a guy of making a decision on something and standing by it. And I, I made a decision that that I wasn't gonna go back to that world and that I'm gonna try to get a better life because, um, like you know, it's a dirty world. <laughs> and I, I wanted to get a better life. And then, believe me, even though I struggle, I, want, I look back and I have friends that call me back, and it's like. It's okay, Ralphie. Right. We need you to drive. It's okay. It's okay. And I and I and I did my last. We on race. the FDR. We need you. Yeah, I did my last race. You know, while I was in DRT, and it was it was all. Uh, it's something that when I look at it now that I'm older, you understand. That's why when I speak to somebody, I give them advice and I talk about ego because it was ego, ego that drove me to my last race. Some guy kept saying, "Oh, I'm gonna beat you. I'm gonna beat you." Yeah, I understand why now because I'm the step. I was the guy to beat. So if he beats me, he's the next guy. It's like me passing the baton. And yeah. you know what? It, 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 he, you you he, had notoriety, so beating you meant yeah. something. Yeah, and, and he, he took me to that point. Like, yeah. he just talked me into it. You were that guy back it. then. You were yeah. that guy that, like, I'm, I'm racing, and I, I got to beat Ralphie at And some I didn't point. look at myself as that. I just wanted to make money. To me, it wasn't about the racing. It was about the money I made. Mm. And uh, he drove me to the point where, okay, Okay, so I'm gonna race you. I had the car in the shop. It was a customer's car, and the guy's like, um, "That's that's an interesting story too, because he was talking all this, all this, all that." And it was it was like a 20 December 22nd, December 22nd, December 23rd. I remember that, like it was yesterday Christmas because time. of that. And I and I told the guy, "Listen, he's gonna come. He's gonna talk everything. He's gonna tell me. You know what? I, I we're gonna have to trick him because if I really tell him yes and I confront him, I'm gonna race you. He's gonna back out." But if we do it the way I plan to do it, he's gonna race me. So I had a cup, 
and I was making believe I was drinking. Everybody was drinking. Uh, and so he's like, oh, I said, I'm not going to raise because I'm drinking. So I told the guy, listen, you're going to say that you're going to put money, punk out money. And if I don't raise, you lose it. So he put, I think it was $2,000 or $3,000 punk out money. And I'm telling the guy, listen, don't put your money because I'm not going to raise because I'm drinking. So the guy heard that. So he got all cocky and thinking this. Plus, I, I, in those days, I had to suspend the license. I didn't want to drive in the street either. So I'm like, I'm not going to drive. I'm not, I'm not going to raise. I'm done with that. And the guy said, look, here's the $3,000. If I lose it, I lose it. And the guy goes, yeah, okay, boom, here's my $3,000. That's it, we're done. I said, okay, let's go get the car now. Oh, what? <laughs> so we ended up racing for $7,000 that night. And I beat him. He broke an axle. And you were, you were drunk. Nah, I wasn't drunk. Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, I was yeah, drinking yeah. something. Yeah. He's so I broke an axle. I bro and you, you could ask people that were in that race. He broke an axle, right? And <laughs> I saw that he broke an axle, and I just put third gear, stepped in the car, and I passed the quarter mile, waving at everybody like this one, sitting on the side of the, <laughs> on the door, just to embarrass the hell out of him. And they didn't even come back; they just paid the money. But I said, I know they're gonna say that it wasn't a race, but hey, he put second gear, he left, he got to pay. But they didn't even come back, and they paid the money. You ever had issues back then getting your money? Yeah, plenty of times. When a close race. It's tough. There's still issues these days. Oh, yeah. yeah well, that's why, that's why I asked. Like, uh, yeah. To win it for nowadays, 15 years. Nowadays, with the damn light. Now they're recording the damn thing because it's a light. Like, oh, please. A light? Come on. For real? <laughs> right. Well, that's why I say it. Like, back then, there's... It's your it's your word. It's whoever's word is at yeah, the end of yeah, the line. Whoever correct. the spotter well, we, is at the we end. We had what was what we call a judge. Let's say there was somebody who will hold the money, of course. Yeah, somebody. And a that guy person. makes the the decision. But sometimes they, you know, they don't want to they don't want to make the decision. They don't want to be in that spot. Yeah. And sometimes we race it over. Okay, so let's race it over. You know, among friends, whatever. We don't want to argue. Let's race it over. Whatever stuff like that. And when you're you were racing back then, it was primarily imports obviously there is a whole other subculture of domestic drag racing did you ever enter did the two ever merge at the races you went to mm, not really we we tried uh, to go no. to a couple of the uh, of the but we thought they were faster than us sometimes yeah like the american thing we we never saw it up, up by the bronx or uptown it was hard even, to see even shay or yeah it was Hunt's hard to point. see you'll see a few cars but not mostly imports so I, that Definitely was a completely important. different subculture of you don't even you at don't even know where they were at mm. that time. I know in Jersey they used to race a lot over there on seventy eight. What back then was called the hole. That used to be a big yeah, like in the hutch. Spot. The hutch was all American. Yeah, until lately that the import started to go there. Mm -hmm. So that was never a thing for you back then. Like let me go no, see how I can no. play no, ball we, with those guys. No, it was good making your money with we the imports. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. <laughs> At the paydays. Remember, the American guys were hardcore racers. Yeah, they, were, they knew what they were doing. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, yeah, right. There's definitely serious cars yeah. out back then. Yeah, they knew what they were doing. So, we spoke a lot about the past. You know, DRT selective work. Now, I know you travel a lot. I see you Costa Rica. Yeah, you do a lot of racing. Yeah, I go to Costa Rica, Panama, the Caribbean. Are you going out there to drive people's cars? Or are you going out there no, to be a mechanic? No, I doing? go there, tune cars, set up electronics, and stuff like that mostly. And and help out with with you know some knowledge of things. Are you like a paid employee on certain teams or yeah yeah freelancing? How's well, that work? they pay me by the day. They okay. pay me by the day. 
So basically, anyone with a team at this point, they could yeah. pay you. Yeah. you got and then lately, work. I've been um, I've been in this program for two years, where where I helped develop the next engine for the Formula Four series on twenty twenty four coming up now. Uh, we just finished the car two weeks ago. I don't and even know what is Formula Four. So. You got Formula One, right? Right. You got Formula Two, Formula Three, and Formula Four. So Formula oh, Four okay. is from 16 to 19 years old. So it's, it, it was currently they're running the 1.5 Honda motor without the turbo. Okay. That's the motor that they're running currently for the past, I think, three or four years. They've been running that engine. And Honda's pulling out this year. Mm. And the, uh, the company that, that builds the car started developing their own engine and you're helping and i had help with the development and it's a b4 oh nice yeah it's a b4 it looks like an ls <laughs> it's a push rod motor it's a 1.5 that makes pretty good half power for so 1.5 they, so they took like a v8 and just cut the it's, two, two it, back if, cylinders if, off if you want to put it if you look at the engine that's exactly what you're going to think because that's exactly the way it looks yeah it looks exactly like a mini ls that's what it looks like but it's a 1.5 liter, and that is the next um, engine for the for the, for next year for the 2024. So they develop a new chassis, and they develop this engine. And luckily enough, we we were able to do the job, and and God, we're going four seconds faster than the new car than the old car. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So a lot of people are excited about it, and and then I'll be doing the whole series next year. I'm doing support for the whole series next year. Nice. Congratulations. Yep. Where's that Where's that based out of? Um. We go to NOLA. They come here to New Jersey um, okay. in, in July next year. We'll be here in Jersey. And JMP. Yep, we'll be here in JMP. How many races they got next year? Eight. Okay. All Eight. in the U.S.? All in the U.S., yes. This is the U.S. championship, correct. So that's actually ironic, right? Because now you're doing formula-type racing, circuit racing, and then when you go to Costa Rica, I believe that's circuit racing too? Correct. Mostly, so when I go out, it's mostly circuit racing. And you even knew this back in the 90s when you started your business, drag racing technologies. <laughs> yeah, correct. Because <laughs> everything you just mentioned that you're working on yeah. is not drag it's racing. Not yeah, correct. So so the guy that ended up designing the logo knew to make it just a DRT. The DRT. That's why I call it DRT racing now. That's correct. great. But cool. you are still the drag racer at heart. Yep. Yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. Because to this day, you um, actually just told us you're going to be racing... You're, you have a A86, yep. Yep. two right. JZ-powered, seven second? Six seconds. Six, my, yes. bad, my bad, my <laughs> bad. What, what's, what's your best in that car? 656, 656. Uh, 217. Okay. My bad, best. disrespecting you with the seven hoping, second. Hoping to break it soon. Hoping to break it soon. Okay. So we'll see. So to your core, drag racing technologies, because you are a drag racer, you know, through and through. Yeah. But... What pays the bills these days is not drag racing. <laughs> That's cool. The, the consulting work. Yeah, yeah very the, the consulting pays. work space pays a lot better. It's a lot easier, a lot cleaner. So, and the, all this and, without and, a degree in being a mechanic or yeah, tuner and then or anything. that's that's another point that I that I wanted to get to the the people that you meet when you go to these type of things that they're, they're they're just like I I just met I just met a guy that's that that does he's a, he's an engineer. And, and and this car worked for Penske in the in the indie cars they I always wanted to meet someone who worked in the indie cars because I, I thought like it's funny because Joe Senior used to talk about that a lot. So 
and he used to say that in IndyCar, they put a chip in their head and they take it out when they leave and nobody knows nothing about it because that was the, the turbo era. It's like men in black. They hit yeah. you with the little so flashlight. So Chem Car, right, in, in, in the 90s was the turbo era when the turbo era began and everybody wanted to know how they did it, how they put all that booze. But nobody knew anything. And now, you know, years later, I meet this guy he tells me a trillion stories about this. I mean, every time, you know, we, 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 we fly together, like, to the airport to meet each other. He's from Indianapolis. And then I, I, I drive, we drive, and he's telling me all these stories. And from it's the like, indie race in the Yeah, race. and it's like, wow. And the, and the guy is, like, a super smart person when it, when it comes to, to, I mean, he does chassis suspension, and, and, and the things he talk about is, like, mind-blowing, like, and he's got like an Excel program for you name it, and he has it. <laughs> he goes, I can do that in, in, in with a calculator, but I have I, a spreadsheet. For I'm that. gonna have a spreadsheet that make it easier. <laughs> and he's like, okay, can I have that? <laughs> After he does it, but very, you know, the kind of people you meet is 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 just mind boggling because you learn a bit from everybody as you go, and and you you get better. Basically, you get better. And also just your network because that's how you're getting all your new work. Yes. At the same time, you're working on Formula Four cars because someone knew you for your previous yeah, work. Correct. No, and and then that's usually how it goes. It's you know somebody's like, hey, I'm down in New Jersey. I'm having this problem. Do you know anyone that could fix yeah. it? It's like, oh yeah, I got a guy there correct. for that. And that that's the best. That's the best way to get customers word of mouth because they they already heard about you. So then there's there's not much talking to do. It's just gonna get done and that's it. Because you did, you did a little bit of support work with uh, Papadakis, too, and those guys in the with, with Castro. Yeah, I did yeah. Castro for a little while um, just because of the AEM. He had a few issues, and, you know, to this day, we, we talk and yeah. we go back and forth. You do it all. So you do drag racing cars. You do circuit cars. You even tune some drift cars, right? Yeah, yeah that's what we yeah. were just talking about when he was doing the— Castro's um, car. I Jonathan do some drift Castro cars down in Dominican. one of the right? Formula Drift cars that he was working with. Yeah. So oh, Cash he's Dominican too, right? Castro, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Castro, the only Dominican yeah, in, in Formula Yeah, in Formula yeah. So Castro, I guess, used to get uh, Steph Papadakis and his team, I guess, used to service that car yep. and kind of maintain it. And then Ralphie was like overseeing some mm -hmm. of the stuff on that. I'm glad to see it. Ralphie is very uh, proud of his heritage. He knew that <laughs> he found out that Eat Sleep Race had a Dominican Republic Eat Sleep Race sticker. And I got a text. Right now. How come I don't have this sticker? <laughs> I said, Ralphie, we've been had that sticker. I just seen it on a customer's car. Drop me off a couple at the shop. Yep. And every and time I seen car. him, I kept forgetting to bring it to him. And, and every time he, he would give me that little jab, where's my Dominican Republic yeah, sticker? It's on my car now. So. That's what's up. Yeah, it's on my car. I saw Ricky actually last night. You shared a post that I want to bring up. It said, oh. racers spend $1,000 to make $100. Racer math. Yeah. Does that apply to you? <laughs> I wish it was only $1,000. I hope my <laughs> wife's not listening to this podcast. <laughs> It's definitely the racer math where, you know, we've all been there where it's yeah. like, hey, this thing's hurt. It might blow up. But if we win the race, like, you know, the glory's there. You won the race, whatever. It's like, yeah. but the race only pays two grand. If this thing blows up, it's like 10 grand. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, you know what? Screw or it. We're going to run it anyway. Just yeah. to fix it, it's going to cost 10, 15 oh, grand. Yo, what's the purse? Oh, 2,500. Do it. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I, I, been there many I, times. Have a, I have a saying in, in road racing to like all the teams that I work with. Man, I always argue because sometimes something happened and he goes, oh, well, the driver told me to do it. And I said, 
You don't listen to the driver. That's the last person you're going to listen to. He don't care. He's just going to blow it up. So <laughs> I thought it's always the tuner's fault, Ralphie. No, it's the driver's fault. <laughs> <laughs> a driver can see it, can see the oil pressure light come on. It's like the finish line's right there. <laughs> Rick, Ricky, is it, it. The, is it the driver or is it the tuner? Yeah, it's always the tuner's fault. It's always the tuner's fault. Or the builder. Oh, oh wait until Kuya hear you. The great <laughs> debate. The driver yeah, or the tuner's yeah. fault. It, uh we have this conversation because Cunha always makes a joke. He's like, it's and always... Cunha's a tuner. Cunha's a tuner. Yep. He's the one who tunes my car. And he always makes a joke. He's like, it's always the tuner's fault. He's like, it's the tuner's fault when it doesn't go right. He's like, and it's the tuner's fault when it does go right. Yep. So, but yeah, there's it's that fine line there. Yep. <laughs> so. Very fine. The, the, the thing that comes into play sometimes is when you're, let's say, the driver... And you're, you know, even the tuner or if you, but if you're the guy. Driver and the tuner over here. And he's, and he's the guy paying the bill. (laughs) So that's another thing you got to, that comes factored in when you got to make those decisions or it's like, "Hmm, you know, am I thinking with the, you know, the ego that I want to win it or Mm -hmm. am I thinking with the wallet where it's like, you know what, let's just try to save it. Let's get a perspective here. What what usually comes first? The ego or. I, I, I've been through the ego when I was young, so I'm able to control it now. (laughs) So the question again is, is it the ego or is it the wallet when it comes to racing? Oh, the wallet's going to slow you down quick because you can't make it no more. That's it. It's just, Uh, that's it. The ego will take you as, you know, as far as the wallet can go. Because if if, if you ain't got the wallet, you could have all the ego in the world. You're not going nowhere. That's it. That's that's the end of the story. If it comes down to it, Ralphie, what, what comes first? Is it the wallet. <laughs> the budget budget usually does dictate yeah, a lot. Yeah. Of course, think about it. No budget where you're going. Especially now that, you know, yeah. races are far. Like, you know, you you, you like I, I was talking to Ricky the other day. You know, you go to Florida, you're spending five grand. Yeah, easily. But I just grand. spoke to you before this podcast started, and you said you got two races coming up back to back. And I said, How's that gonna work? And he goes, we'll see. I got three extra motors. <laughs> yeah. You, you well, gotta you gotta bring you well, know, bring I, everything I, you I got prepare. and hope you brought enough. Yeah, I prepare for it. That's that's all you can do. I mean, that if it goes wrong in the middle of it, then you stop where you need to stop and and, and it's time to go back home and regroup. That's right. That's, that's basically it. That's that's where we had a T-shirt design that says "Build, Race, Rebuild," and that's that's right. And the that's definition right. of you know every racer's life here. Yeah. That's right. Ricky, and you actually uh, mentioned it earlier. Yet, um, I'll let you ask the question. Okay. Um, so you've been in this industry for a long time. You've seen a lot of different changes in temperature, uh, fads come and go. Right now, what would you say is like one of the strong suits of the industry that you're seeing these days? And are we talking just import racing or racing in general, motorsports? I'll I'll just make it a general motorsport question, being that Ralphie does a lot of different I mean, avenues. As of far as what 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 what's what's ra- what racing is best right now? What racing is the, growing the most? I mean, it's tough because I mean, I do feel that drag racing is is dying mm-hmm. because and 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 it's dying because the mostly the the fight between promoters and racers. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm I'm in the middle of it all, and I and I'm I'm from a. Is this I'm, specific to just import racing? No, all, all racing, but 
But the thing is that the import racing we see it most because that's what we're in, I guess. Yeah, that's what that's we're, mostly where I've seen it, and and I think it's a little bit more professional in the in the American, in the American that's side. That's why Plus, I, they got they got. I think there's there's so many sanctioning bodies for American for American races that it, it can go by. But with us, well, that's um, why I asked if it's specific. When so me being when you say you drag know, racing is dying, that's a hot topic because. Well, I think there's people in within the domestic pro mod scene that would contrary that. No, uh, how many pro mods are out there? There's a lot. There were sixty in Florida earlier this year on the same property in one race. <laughs> then after that, what happens? They're still all there's over. There's a lot. They're, they're at a lot of different races. They, there's way more pro mods than sport front wheel drive. When you start taking a class and pretty doing close. an out even, when, yeah, pretty but, close. But when you start taking a class, let's take pro mod for example. Promod is Promod, but now you got Promod Outlaw, Promod this, Promod that. Now you split. What are what are you doing? You're yeah. splitting the races. So when you split the races, what happened now? Who wins? Nobody. And you're saying that's because of the rules or the promoters? Yeah, everybody wants to. It, it's different engines, different rules, yeah. different this, different. There that. definitely is it's a some, lot of rule packages it's, for that. It's, it's something we talked about, and Ricky knows. We 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 talked about. It. I talked about it with a few with a few people, and. Me wearing all the hats that I wore this year and the last couple of years, you know, you know, working as a tech guy, working with Javier, being a racer, being a builder, I, I see the different things. And I, I, you know, sometimes I look at, at, at things different. I, I look at things very different. I sit down and go home and analyze and think about what can I do to make this better? And I'm like, it's, it's impossible. It's, well, for, it's impossible. To give the viewers and listeners you know, some insight onto why Ralphie feels this way. He's coming from a tech perspective because not only right. Ralphie wears a lot of hats, not only well, is he well, racer, I, I tuner, driver, I was just going to say that because Ralphie does tech at tech, drag racing. Tech yeah. guy Ralphie will look at things a certain way that racer Ralphie won't, where builder Ralphie Correct. will look at something different. Correct. And I always say it to everybody. I'm, I'm, I'm a racer before I'm a tech guy. Would you say this is a biased perspective? Mm, I don't know. It's I, I always say I'm a racer before I'm a tech guy. And and I and I know what racers go through. And it's tough for me as a tech guy to like DQ somebody or do something to somebody. I'd rather first talk to the person and explain to them, look, you're doing this wrong. Don't don't do it. I rather I rather explain that. That's why I like to like I I tell her I want to do drivers meeting. I want I want to educate the new racer because that's what it is. The new racer is not getting educated. They just think they can come and just run and do whatever they want. Mm -hmm. And and us like Ricky guys like us we we owe that to the new racer. That's what I feel. I feel that I owe that to the new racer. That I need to teach the next generation to do it right, or I, to at least try to do it right. I want to say. On another perspective, as a non-professional driver, and I haven't drag raced in competitively in well over a decade, I don't think drag racing is dying. I go there as a I spectator, don't think so and there's massive events we went to this year. I go there with my brand to set up pop-up shops at these events, and a lot of the events I went to this year grew. Well, from a racer's point of view, from a fan's point of view, yes, it's, it's there. People, fans will come. I'm not saying that, but but look the, at the landscape is changing. Yeah, is definitely correct. Changing. Correct. Um, I agree with that. The landscape is definitely changing. That 
there's not, you know, going back to all our, me and Brian are a little more similar in age where it's like, when he turned 16, I know I did, you were ready to go get your license. Correct. Nowadays, there's a lot of people that are oh, in their 20s I, that, that are I, like, without licenses. I don't have a license. <laughs> what do I, I saw, need a license I saw, for? I saw an article on the news. The average age for getting a license is 23, 24 years yeah, old. That's so, unheard of. Which back then, yeah. you had the thing like, I'm getting my license. This is the car I want. It was, These it, are the it, wheels I'm getting. When, when I was around, it was it was it was an extra credit on on high school to get it yeah. to get your permit on, yeah. in high school. It was it was a class. So that definitely is changing the landscape where you're seeing the shift more to like the lifestyles type of events, Correct. like the which culture is, events, which is where I wanted to get to. So if you go to a drift event, like for for a racer. When I first my when I first went to my first drift event, there were two things I never had respect for, and it's just funny. I'm gonna say this: it's drift, and it's NASCAR. <coughs> I never had any respect for NASCAR until I saw the first NASCAR race, and it happened to be at Indy. We were doing an IMSA race, and I had credentials to go actually into the pits and look at what they do, and I'm like, oh wow, these guys are professionals. Like they don't get to test. Their test is their qualifying. They, that's why they come in and they got these things. They do changes and then they go back out. And then once you make that change, that's it. Everything is gone. You're starting from scratch now. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, wow, these guys. Oh, you got to give them credit. So they come and they put that setup on a track and they know that's the setup that's gonna work. And boom, and they do their time. So I was like, wow, I'm very impressed with that. Same thing happened with drift. I'm like, oh, I, I always say, well, you know, it's, it's, it's people judging. I mean, it's like figure come skating. On. Yeah, so well, come on. I mean, this is this is bull, you know what I mean? And then once I saw, I mean, there's a technique to it, and there's things that you have to do to make these judges give you those points. And then I said, okay, I got respect for these guys. This is, this is real racing. It's funny because I had a very similar perspective. Yeah. When I went to go work for uh, Gary Gardella at one point, crew chiefing one of their second cars, and no, he called me like, hey, I got this drift car. I need somebody to crew chief it. And I'm like, listen, I don't know anything about drifting. He's like, I don't need you to. He's like, I just need you to make sure that pull the data, make sure they're not blowing it up, keep an eye on this, make sure these guys are doing what they're supposed to. Like, all right, no problem. So, you know, you go out there, you're like, all right, they're kind of giving you the quick crash course on how it all works. And then you get there and you start seeing the levels of the builds on some of these cars. And I was going like, to say the mechanics to all these the, cars that you just yeah. mentioned. The first are... thing, the first thing I noticed was like every single car there had full Motec catalog yep. front to back. Like back then the, the dominant cars of that year were the, the Falcon cars. They were built by a shop called uh, ASD. I think Autosport dynamic was the name or something. They built just premier like top tier drift cars. And I remember looking at them like these cars were all like works of art. And then when you start getting into them and seeing how sophisticated those cars are and the suspension setups. And then the other thing that people have a misconception of is the amount of grip that those cars have in while they're in drift is insane. And it's like, then you kind of get into like, you know what? At the end of the day, it's all nuts and bolts. Yeah. It's, there are still cars. they still have engines. They still have pistons. They have rods. Like, and it's it, it's a different style of racing, but you do get to uh, once you see how how hard it is and the amount of mechanics that are involved right. in it, you do have an appreciation. Yeah, like there's an there's an alignment to the car. There's oh, everything else to a real race car. Like yeah, yeah. they got if they're out of alignment, it's not gonna so drift right. That's it. My first event we go to, they go out there, they crash the car. 
you know, in drag racing, you crash the car, you're like, all right, yeah. crack a beer, we're done for the weekend. Right. They're like, oh, no, we're going to, we have control arms, we have this, we're going to hammer the rail, we'll weld this. And I'm like, you guys are for real. They're like, oh, yeah, oh, no, yeah. we'll, we'll get this thing back out before the end of the weekend. Like, okay, sure enough, we were out there ready for first round. Yeah. I'm like that. That happened to me with Papadakis. The, you know, they crashed the car, so I'm like, okay, well, well, what, what do I do now? Like, so I'm like, look, what do I do? Because so when you do it during a round, right? They give you five minutes, and the clock starts the minute you touch the first part. So these guys, like, I, I just want to be out of the way here because I, they, I'm yeah. new here. I don't want to be in somebody's way, mess something up, you know, and and, and ruin the thing, and then it's my fault. So I'm like, well. What do you guys want me to do? I said, look, just pass twos. I said, like, okay, good. I can do that. I'll be next to the two bus. You just yell, I'll pass stuff. And when the car comes in, right, these guys are looking around. Boom. They already got, like, arms, everything, because, you know, Papadakis is upstairs and has told them, okay, a trailing arm of this. Or this. Yeah, they, got they already got everything up. in the corner where it goes. So they're ready to go. And then they're looking. You can't touch the car until the clock comes. So they're looking already, but they already know everything that's – that's, that's wrong with the car. So they mostly have it out. When they hit that clock, man, it don't take them three minutes to get the car back, back yeah. ready. They'll do that, do a quick string alignment, yep. and then and let's go. roll it right back out. And let's go. Now, it, there's definitely a, it is one of those things that until you go out there and see right. the level of cars that are out there, there is and, a... And I think that's what attracts the fan, the, the, the drifting fan. You know, the smoke, the this, seeing things like that, yeah. getting close to the races, which is what I've been trying to say that drag racing should do. Let we Import racing, uh, most people don't know the driver. You, you, you know, a driver can walk by a guy, if he doesn't have his uniform, they don't even know he's a driver. So I think that by by... Putting names to faces. Yeah, putting names to faces. The, the drivers you know, drivers the saying hello to more kids or whatever and, and, and being nicer than showing their face. And I understand, you know, sometimes it's it's a tough schedule. You have you got broken parts, but most of the guys got teams and you can you can do that. But I mean, I think that if we if we start showing faces around, more fans will come. That's I, that's the way it works. I appreciate how you brought up the topic of drifting. Much respect to all the drift teams and drifters. Yep. I actually just came back from Formula D, Irwindale, the final, the title fight. We're going to have a little plug here. We just released our collaboration with Formula Drift. We did the official ABCs for future drifters, now available on the website. But with that being said, it was a sold-out event. Yeah. And they almost always are. Yeah. You went, you, we were on the way to the track. There was signage on the way to the track. Event is sold out. Yeah. Huge. The, the last event that I worked, we didn't end up qualifying for. We had some issue with the car. Didn't end up qualifying for. So I'm like, you know what? During the event, I'm like, let me go try to see if I could find a spot to go sit down and just watch. I walked into the stands. You look up. There is not an empty seat in that place. Yeah, and that's where they get the sponsors. And think about it. They're, they're for the, the thing that the, the races, the drag racing promoters are the worst about. They do their life. They do their life. They do their own life. Yeah. They've been doing and it for years. And it still gets packed. Yeah, they've been doing And that's it why years. they get the sponsors. So we went from the topic of, you know, you mentioned drag racing is dead. I'm going to have another plug here. NHRA, I'll bring, I'll, I'll mention this. Quite a few sold out events this year. Correct. Yes. Yes. They've done really well this year. And I will put in another plug here. We do have the official NHRA collaboration ABCs for future drag racers. <laughs> 
So what? it's hard to say drifting or drag racing is dead when the premier well, drag racing series NHRA maybe, for the first time in many years. Maybe I said it in, in the wrong way. Maybe I said it in the wrong way. It, but it but it is less than what it used to be, especially with track closing. Like, look, I've been looking I for. I think we I've have been a looking, good topic. I've here. been looking for a rental, right? Ricky knows we went we went to Cecil and, and it, it was it was a nightmare for both of us. Yeah, and we since went then, testing I've been, a couple I've been weeks looking, back. It wasn't good. Yeah, I've been looking for a rental, a test and tune or whatever. Can't find one. Yeah. It so good topic, and I like how you reworded that and say maybe I said it wrong yeah. because you you're a drag racer at heart, been Correct. doing this for over thirty years, almost close to forty years, and you same been doing this you know uh, since you had your driver's license yeah pretty much so yeah. drag, both drag racers at heart so it's very disheartening to see these announcements of racetracks definitely. closing oh, definitely you brought up the topic it's disheartening seeing this next generation not caring or mm. looking forward to getting their driver's license so and also this big shift you know a a, a very taboo topic to bring up with the epa and oh, yeah. modifying cars so I don't think the right verbiage to say is drag racing is dying. We're just going through a very, um, we're going through a large, large change. So we could have been on an up and now we're on a, on a plateau, let's say, basically. But there is also, you know, let's say we're, we're very early to this. There's Formula E now. I, I was going to say, I got another wrench to throw in there, the electric car. Correct. <laughs> right. But as much as what I've, Aside from import drag racing, obviously NHRA is packing the house. No prep kings. We went to Maple Grove. That place was jam packed. That day was a sellout. There was a sellout. We, we, both we, went. we were which at is it. one of the hardest tracks to get people to come to. Yes. We went to so Maple Grove. We were I bought a spectator ticket. We were sat both in there. The stands yeah. with Ricky. We were both there, spectators hanging packed. out. Packed. And the place they ended up announcing it was a sellout that Saturday. Now, no prep kings. That no matter what track they go, and these guys go to a lot of middle of the middle of nowhere, nowhere tracks, and they sell them out, and they pack the house, and it's like lines for miles of traffic to get in. Drag so, racing's not dying. Yeah, I don't think it's yeah. dying. No, I think we're, like I said, it, it's we just, just took. I, I come listen. I come from the English Town era. Think about it. The English Town era was I would see the track packed every weekend. Yeah. We also in New Jersey. See, that's yeah. that's it's a very biased perspective yeah. we, because we Ralphie's coming <laughs> as a New York yeah. racer based in New Jersey. Our largest track closed yeah. within the past, you know, man, it's so, kind of crazy over five years now. So that's yep. the thing is we we've gotten a couple quite blows. A big blows. Yeah. Yes. So you know, obviously, English Town closing a couple years back. Boom, that's one blow. Which that this one EPA news. Boom, another blow. That was so the English Atco Town closes oh, another blow. So, uh, so the English Town closing thing definitely. Caught a lot of people by surprise. Yep. The Atco thing, not so much because they were trying to sell that place at all costs at one point. And then it turned from, hey, we're trying to sell it. Then they started investing into it. Then it was like, all right, it looked like there was some you know, light at the end of the tunnel. And then the news drops that from one day to another, they sold it. Then you start kind of looking in hindsight. You're like, all right, well, Pan Am, when we were there, we raced till like one in the morning the one day, two in the morning the next day. It's like, yep. all right, that makes sense then. Yep. Because they knew the place was done. They knew it. They so knew it. that that, that was a little bit of a from blow. being a New Jersey racer. Yeah. Because yep. 
lot of lot of big blows in New Jersey. In oh, yeah, yeah definitely years. in the last couple of years has definitely been. But but even when you look at places like Orlando, like Orlando has events, uh, unless it's this one coming up, let's say the 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 the, the World <laughs> Finals. That's when it gets packed. Yeah. But Orlando doesn't get fans. They they get racers. Yeah. But they don't. They you don't know, get fans. So it, is, it depends. It and depends I, I, on the event. And I, I, I think it's it's like what Ricky's saying. The the no prep kings get it, and you know the the, the everybody else gets you know, it. It's about it's about promoting. You know what we, I think? They're promoting. They're promoting in the same area. Yeah. And so, we're talking about strictly drag racing events. NHRA is a drag racing event. Correct. And I think too. No prep kings is a drag racing. I also event. think too. The one thing that kind of hurts Orlando a little bit is that place. If you're not there. If you're there after like the first day of an event, like you bring your wife, she's not gonna want to go to the bathroom there. I haven't yeah. been to that she, track in over a decade. The, the so. place, it just, it definitely needs some love. It definitely needs yeah. some love. It needs some updating, because that's the biggest thing. It's like, you know, you want to attract the family aspect of it because you want to be able to bring your kid, bring your yeah. wife. Well, you were you were just in in Maple Grove. I I was up there now, and I saw. They did a lot of changes. They definitely did a lot of changes. Uh, the they, track looks really nice now. Yeah, they definitely. Yeah. The Koretskis are, you know, definitely investing in that property. Yeah. Um, funny story is that, you know. Drag racing is not dying. Obviously, <laughs> you know, we, we know Kyle. Kyle used to race Hondas back in the day. Yep. And, you know, big bracket racer now. His, his family bought Maple Grove. He's also racing in pro stock. So it's like 12, 12.05. We're sitting in line to get beer. And Kyle's behind the counter, stocking the beer fridge. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? I was like, aren't you guys on track at 1230? Now, mind you, at this point, it's like 1210, 1215. He's like, oh, yeah, I got a couple more minutes. I'm like, dude, you're racing in pro stock, one of the hardest classes. (laughs) And meanwhile, you're here stock, but they're just that hands on. On Sunday morning. That's the dream that you want. You know, these uh, tracks that are being owned by enthusiasts and yes, racers yeah. themselves because they're going to keep these alive and they're going to not only keep it alive they're going to improve it yeah, yeah. It's, it's like echo echo could have sold but why couldn't they finish it yeah they haven't touched it no why couldn't you say I, okay it's I, sold it'll be sold december 31st yeah i think i think they were at thing. the point where they just wanted their payday yeah. and to be done right. right but like like you said you get these tracks that are run by enthusiasts or by racers like another one that comes to mind is you know cecil county in maryland Jim Halsey, his guys. Pumping money into Those guys yeah. are but, hardcore But Cesar doesn't races. open on a Sunday. Brand new bleachers. No. Cesar doesn't open on a Sunday. Think about because that. Because he ha- he's another guy. He has a regular business, too. Yeah. So, but. Well, not only a regular business, also a professional driver himself. Yes. Yep. Rec- so, uh, championship driver. Yeah, so. mo- multiple. Got a lot going champion. on. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, I mean, I was but there. Still runs I was there at the Yellow Bullet. I've been there. I've been going to the Yellow Bullet the past few years. This year, that thing was packed. Yeah, no, that place gets packed. That See, Ralphie, packed. how could you be going to these Yellow Bullet, a racer only event, jam packed? I, oh, I love Yellow Bullet. I love it. Next you, year, you're I'm already, race you already it. took your comment. Next year, I'm going to race it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to race it for sure. See? So I, th- I think we kind of, my next question that I wanted to ask was, but we kind of touched on it a little bit, was, you know, you as a business owner and even your consulting side of things, you know, what what will you say right now is probably like the biggest weak point of this of the motorsports industry? Do you think the EPA stuff is probably uh, the EPA stuff is scary to mm-hmm. a point, but um, I mean it hasn't gotten close to this side, let's say, mm-hmm. or or at least to what you're involved in. Or not at least, yeah. And and I've been knowing about it for a while, so that's why I like I said I pick and choose what I do now, which yeah. is is change. I I changed a long time ago. Um, what I do because of that, 
because I knew this was coming and I was warned by somebody and I, I, they kept telling me, listen, this is coming, this is coming. I'm like, no, it's not. It's never going to come. And I saw it happen to, to some people and I'm like, mm. wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, it's coming. It's coming. And, uh, and, as, and, and I don't think anybody's going to do anything about it either. Um, Very sensitive topic. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely, I definitely see, think that is an issue that well, you know eventually. The will. only way this is going to get solved is, is somebody with a lot of money comes and do some lobbying in Washington because it's got to come from there. That's yeah. the only people that can control the EPA. It, or, it, it definitely or can say what we can do, what yeah. we could do, and we can do. That will definitely uh, have an effect on what it. What the or, EPA is doing is they're interpreting something their way yeah which is you know what I, you what 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 mm -hmm. the, what the law does they're going to interpret something their way because we can say but we're not doing that not no but that's what you're doing and yeah. and, and they win it's their rule book and they win correct yeah. so I, I definitely think that you know if there is a change of administration that that could affect it um because judging you know a couple years back there, this was this, this, this was is, an issue, yeah, like, and then you know a couple of years ago it stopped becoming an issue because well, it's been happening since others. 2015. Just so you know, so it's, well, it, it has, didn't happen yesterday. But again, not to get super yeah. political, but during the Obama administration, that's yeah. when this was an issue. Yeah. Then when the Trump administration was in office, that they kind of I think a lot of their funding yeah, they bring got another reduced. Agenda, basically. Yeah, there, it was a different it's focus. It's normal. But now that you know this obviously this this administration we have in now is they're very big on the ev stuff yep. obviously yep. they're all buying tesla stock magically when they're pushing these yep. ev laws yep. but it's one of those things where you see that it's kind of trending which is that something way. like this is the the easiest question that i want them to answer how did you get rid of lithium mm -hmm. yeah that, that is a big problem with those cars so yeah so I like this new everybody topic has we're their, moving into. Right everybody here. has their, their their problems. You know, everybody has their What's issues. What's your thought on EV, Brian? <laughs> that was my question for Ralphie. What's your thoughts on the electric movement? On the electric movement? I got, there is Formula I got, E. I got There's... stuck in an electric car. So. <laughs> <laughs> so Ralphie has a story that he told yeah. us. He went to the airport, rented an electric car. Yeah. It, it died? It, 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 so... I, I, they gave me a, a Hyundai Kona, I think it is. Uh -huh. So when the thing is dying, right, it slows you down. And then when it, yeah, that's it. Like the end of the line, a little turtle comes out in the dash. And the thing is like, just, just like. Well, actually, no, don't make that noise, Ralph. It just goes. I'm serious, man. I was like, I was like, I pulled into somebody's driveway. I'm like, let me get out of this road because somebody's going to run me over. And I just pulled into somebody's driveway and stopped there. Because it broke. It just that's it. it wouldn't go no more that's it why would they why would the rental place give you an ev that wasn't charged no it was charged you but, just drove it far enough I, that I it was, died i was trying to look it was you know supposed to take you like you 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 press a, a, a thing on the navigation and it tells you where the nearest uh -huh. um charging station yeah. is well i'm in south carolina you are near a charging station. <laughs> they didn't give you a generator with it. And then, then I go to, to no. They they gave me they gave me a charger. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's, that you needed to plug into something. Oh no no, I plugged in it when I got to the track. When I plug, I said okay, so I will plug it in the morning. By the time I leave, five six hours, got to be charged. I plug it in. You know when it's set because it tells you like how long it's gonna take. Forty six hours and fifty minutes. I'm like, oh man, oh, what? <laughs> 46 hours and 15 minutes. Oh, they gave you a defective car? No, it's like a defective 110. Charging? It doesn't charge with a 110. It would charge take forever. Oh, sh 
So, so what Ralphie's saying is he he called an Uber and left his car at the yeah, track. Yeah, and that's no, that's that's the worst story. There was no Uber around. Somebody came from Charlotte and picked me up. But how'd you get them? Uh, no, the, somebody well, you knew. The guys in the track. They like look. Oh wow. And like look, man, I gotta catch a flight, man. <laughs> I gotta catch a flight. So I, somebody I, helped you find a ride. So it was thirty minute ride, and they they came. I was trying to pay the the guy where I went in the driveway, and he's like, "No, I can't help you, buddy." <laughs> and you, so you ditched your car. I left it there, and that's it. I put that call the company. They told me to leave the keys inside, and I just left it there. Come get your car. Yeah, that's it. What am I gonna do? So, so you literally went through the nightmare of somebody who's get wanted to buy an electric car, uh, like, "Yo, I don't want to uh, get stuck because this thing wanna, runs out of juice." I don't want to hear about those things. It and it's, it's funny driving those things. There's no noise. All you hear is wind. That's like, what I said. That that don't happen. I'll stick to my gas for a little while until they take it away from me. Yeah. I appreciate it, Ralphie. A lot of great conversation <laughs> today. Very, you established yourself as an OG to, you know, the import racing community. I think any Fast and Furious fan, which is way more than race fans in general, have a lot to credit to you for why they are fans mm -hmm. of this franchise today. And thanks for being on the podcast. Wow, thank you for having me. And if you guys made it to the end of the episode, please like, comment, share subscribe whatever platform you're watching this on you can follow me on instagram at brian esr uh you can follow me at ricky underscore clm on instagram facebook pretty much anything at dot racing and at ralphie's racing world and definitely check out if, if you've been a fan of ralphie or are now a fan of ralphie ralphie has been working hard on his youtube channel ralphie's racing world and yep Give a little description of what they could uh, expect to see on that channel. Um, well, right now we did a couple of episodes just so people can that don't know me get to know me, and I introduce. So if they want to know more about you beyond this podcast, uh, uh, watch that about me, my about me, what I do, personal life. Even my, I got my wife involved somehow. She enjoys it now. <laughs> so my so wife, talking my, about it's like Ralphie's reality show. Yeah, yeah, my wife is on it as well. So my um, little thing, a little a couple of facts about me and a couple of facts about the shop, and eventually I want to move on to um, you know uh, show people different things on um, how to do things stuff like that basically very cool tech related stuff. yeah and i'm always listen open to comments or whatever everybody in. and ralphie reads all the comments yeah i do i do even even on the instagram uh, people get people get surprised when i answer back like oh is it really you i'm like well, <laughs> who else is it gonna be <laughs> it's racer x <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah. guys thanks for watching stay tuned to the next episode and again like comment share subscribe